Welcome to the Double Technical Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Lucas Fryman, and I hope everyone had a fantastic week. We uh we got quite a few things that we are gonna have to talk about when it comes to this all the sports. So obviously everything we talk about the local section to start the game the game, the podcast. Man, I'm sorry, I'm I'm all shook up, guys. I'm still not a hundred percent at all. Um we're gonna do the the local hour, okay? Uh and this is brought to you by SeekEat. Uh go to SeekEat.com or download the SeekGeek app. Use code double technical and you'll save twenty dollars off your first ticket purchase. So make sure everyone does that. And so to start today, we're gonna start a little bit out of order because this is uh the order of who I can get a hold of. We're gonna start with the Bengals first. And who other than to talk Bengals with then the one, the only, the man that I'm pretty sure if he was nude, he would have stripes all over his body because he bleeds Bengals orange and black. That is Brian Goins. Welcome to the show, like always, sir. That was the best coronation as a fan that I've ever gotten in my life. Really? I'm so, I'm so glad. That's way better than bleeding orange and black. That was... I enjoy that. I enjoy that a lot. Good, good. I, I, I wanted to be innovative, sir. So Yeah, yeah. It's, it's next level. So we're going to talk Bengals and actually Reds with Brian uh, today. So, But Reds Reds going to be at the tail end. Um, so the thing that we have to start off with with the Bengals, of course, because it's really the, the, the biggest move, um, is... The Raiders QB coach Brian Callahan is officially going to be our next offensive coordinator. Uh, John Gruden, Brian's main man, said it at a press conference yesterday and and broke the news for the entire world. I don't know how the Bengals organization felt about that, um, but he is going to be our next offensive coordinator. Brian, what was your reaction and what are your hopes and dreams that Brian Callahan will bring to the Bengals organization? Yeah, I wonder if the Bengals organization is just as terrified that they broke protocol here <laughs> because, as they were with the Zach Taylor situation because John Gruden broke the news. Um, so this is an interesting thing. Um, <clears throat> kind of through several different means, I would say Zach Taylor has a connection with Brian Callahan. Um, obviously, it was mentioned earlier, it's been rumored that Bill Callahan, who's Brian Callahan's father, is coming in as the offensive lines coach. He's coming from the Redskins. Bill Bill Callahan was Zach Taylor's uh, head coach at Nebraska when he played quarterback there. Um, my opinions on that, first of all, is I think the coaching staff chemistry is going to be great, which obviously is a, is a huge must to have behind the scenes. But also, with, uh, with Brian Callahan, any person first of all i don't think any coach in the nfl knows quarterbacks better than john gruden and anybody any any coach that john gruden is going to entrust to be his quarterbacks coach and work directly with his quarterbacks is a guy that i can be excited about having on a coaching staff and it seems very very obvious that the the bengals zach taylor and obviously uh through on down the line it seems like we're very very committed to pulling that, like I said uh, in an earlier podcast, pulling that Sean McVay mentality of get the most out of your quarterback. And the fact that, that we have Brian Callahan, who was working very closely with Derek Carr, and we have um, 
we have Zach Taylor, who was working very closely with Jared Goff, working with Andy Dalton and trying to get the most out of him. I'm 100% for that because I think the rest of the weapons speak for themselves. It's just a matter of getting the most out of Andy Dalton, and I think that is a good win-now mentality to have for the Bengals. So I like the hire a lot. Even though um, Derek Carr did not have great success under him this year? Well, uh, 100% 100 of that, I think, comes from the fact that it was an entirely new system with John Gruden working under there. And the Raiders don't have a lot of offensive line talent. They don't necessarily have the strongest receiving core in the NFL. Um, I think Derek Carr gets a lot of mulligans for that. But, again, um, I think – there's a lot to be said of John Gruden ready to build a roster around him. And I think the fact that he had Brian Callahan working for him lets me know what he thinks of Brian Callahan. I mean, it to me, it it, it was very interesting. I, I was not ready for this to happen. I just know that you all of a sudden sent me a message like, hey, <laughs> Gruden just yeah, broke yeah. news. It's like, wait, what? What? Why is he breaking news for the Bengals? What is happening? <laughs> it was and, funny. There's a there's a there's a draft analyst I follow on Twitter named Joe Goodberry. Everybody should follow him on Twitter. Has is at Goodberry on Twitter, and it was I think it was his question to John Gruden during the Senior Bowl uh, media day that sparked. John Gruden, because he was asking about Brian Callahan, and it's funny because Joe Goodberry is a Bengals draft analyst. And after that question got asked, that was when John Gruden broke the news. So I thought it was really funny that it kind of got sparked from a Bengals draft analyst. Yeah, very, very weird situation overall. But, you know, at least now we got two, okay, for sure pieces. Now we're still playing the guessing game on the defensive side. I know me and you last week talked about Jack Del Rio um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that he's the one rumored to be our de- the defensive coordinator, but we don't know that for certain yet. Um, so- and honestly, I would really like Jack Del Rio in as a defensive coordinator from his head coaching experience. Obviously, he wasn't very successful in, in Jacksonville, but he's a very smart defensive mind, and I think – if you're going to have as young of a coaching staff as you are, you probably should bring in. And and I like Bill Callahan possibly coming in doing the offensive line. I just think if we can get some experience on the defensive coordinator side of the ball and, you know, on your position coaches, if we can get some experience, some age there, that will help transition Zach Taylor from quarterbacks coach to head coach. Yeah, that that is the the thing, too. I, I posed a question on Instagram. You know, we're, we're having – so basically now we have two position – or you know coaching positions filled by people who have never been in that position um I mean does that worry you in any way because I mean I'm a little bit apprehensive but I'm also you know excited for hopefully innovation and to see a Bengals squad that we've never seen before of course there's a lot there's a ton of concern to be to, to have um with hiring somebody uh, especially in a head coaching position who was very young um, and who has no experience at head coaching at any level. But I think what worked for a guy like like when Sean McVay took, uh, took the head coaching job, what worked for him was that he had a really strong support staff and he was good at building a support staff for him. And I think that's going to be the key for Zach Taylor is if he can get a support staff that works well with him, then I don't think the experience uh, worries me, or the lack of experience, I should say, worries me as much because he'll have, you know, especially some experience uh, in his position coaches. If he can get people that um, 
that have been in the league for a while kind of working with him, then I think that's going to help him make that transition a lot more seamless. All right, so the, another exciting thing we we we're finally getting some more pieces, so it it allows us to debate some to to debate some more and be excited and and or if you're like me, nervous, uh, all kinds of things. But it's great. Well, I think Lucas Lucas would be nervous. <laughs> Lucas would be nervous that the Bengals were twelve and zero by week twelve next year. So oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I I think I'd be worse off. Yeah, that that would be awful uh we'd we'd find a way to go eight and eight and be out of the playoffs um so (laughs) uh the next thing that was announced uh i believe on sunday uh because i talked about it on the monday show um the Bengals will be playing in london again this season uh this will be their second trip second or third trip over there um, we'll be playing against the Rams, which I think that's very hilarious that we end up matched up against them. So Zach Taylor versus his old mentor, Sean McVay. Um, but, um, we <laughs> NFL put a poll out and we were voted, uh, out of four games in London third as most interesting. Um, so that's no surprise there. Um, we do though have a huge following in London, which I never would have thought was a thing, but there's way more Bengals fans over there than other teams. Um, what are your thoughts on us getting booked for London? I mean, are you excited about that? Do you like it? I don't personally love it, but you know, it at least gives the Bengals some more uh, exposure. Well, I think it's the, the interesting thing to me is I, I feel like part of what might get the Bengals a little bit more following uh, outside of the United States is their unique branding because I don't think any team really has a branding like the Bengals do. You have the you know you have the orange and black. You have the striped helmets. Um, I don't know. I think that stands out a lot um, when you kind of look at the league and how a lot of the league's very uh, cut, copy, paste as far as their uniforms go and 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 as far as their color schemes go and and you know. So I I think that's one thing to be said for the Bengals is that it's a very uniquely branded franchise and i like the fact that their fan base is getting expanded internationally um these london games are they're hit or miss for me sometimes they're they're fun to watch uh or sometimes they're they're fun to experience sometimes they're not i know it's got to be brutal on the players um having to do that flight i mean it's a super long flight and then you have a complete time zone change that you have to you have to deal with and i don't know i I'm so hit or miss on these, but ultimately, if the league's trying to expand internationally, why not put the Bengals and Rams, you know, in Wembley Stadium? Why why not? It's going to put you in front of a huge crowd, and we're playing the Rams, so we don't know how that's going to go because I'm I'm projecting the Rams to be a fantastic team again next year. So maybe we see how the Bengals truly stack up as as you know as a roster by that point. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be an interesting one to watch. I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> well, last time that we played, uh, we ended in a tie with the Redskins. So let's not forget that. Um, which, I mean, I guess but, all the people in UK weren't phased by that. Yeah, they're so used to ties in soccer all the time. And sometimes <laughs> they have to deal with 0-0 zero, zero ties. So at least I get to see points get scored. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, they didn't seem too phased while the entire America is just like really another tie. <laughs> I know it seems like ties just took over the NFL in the past few years. Yeah, it's been very weird. Um so on to the the next thing. This is 
something that I really just kind of came up with because, you know, there's not a lot of talking points for the Bengals right now, but we have to talk about them. And my my question is, which I oh so eloquently wrote on this, uh, is who do we need to dumb this offseason? Um, which is supposed to be who do we need to dump this offseason? And Lucas, you're really good at typing. I, I'm brilliant at typing, let me tell you. <laughs> Um, and the, the reason why I kind of pose this question is because we got a lot of, I, you know, we've changed a lot with the coaching staff, but we still need to make some changes in the personnel department by getting rid of some players, in my opinion, whether it's be letting them go through free agency or even trading them or releasing them. And I just wanted to pose the question to you, Brian, because you know a lot about the team and everything who, if we even need to, you know, we, if you feel like we don't need to, then we don't, but is there anybody that we really need to get rid of to help with this organizational change? Well, I could say most of the linebacking staff, that's not Preston Brown. That's what I would say. Um, I think Vontez perfect has overstayed his welcome. Malik uh, Jefferson. I don't, I don't, I mean, Malik Jefferson's okay, but I think if, if you put more linebacker talent on that roster, I don't think he'll hold up. Um, I don't think Hardy. I mean, Hardy Nickerson is is he looks like he runs with twenty pound boots on his legs. Um, <laughs> Nick Vigil. Nick Vigil plays slap when he wants to tackle. He. I mean, I, I don't know. I, the linebacker. Beep, we could dump. The beep. <laughs> We're probably gonna have to have an E next to this podcast this week, Lucas. <laughs> I'm but, gonna have to bleep that out. Thanks. <laughs> but uh, but I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would honestly, if I had to pick any players, it would probably be most, if not all, of the linebacking staff besides Preston Brown. Um, I think Preston Brown will be able to fit into a new uh, defensive scheme after you load up with rosters. But, but obviously, the big one's Vontez Perfect. Um, he costs a lot of money and he doesn't produce just as well. Um, so I would say, um, beyond that. Um, Maybe Michael Johnson, but it depends. Um, if Michael Johnson can can take a lower contract, then I don't I don't see any reason to get rid of him. But if he's still wanting the same money he's getting, Michael Johnson could probably be a cap casualty that I wouldn't be too upset about. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I like what's I like what's going on in the offense. I'll be really happy to see Cedric Abuehi not get re-signed. <laughs> Everyone knows that's happening. Yeah, that that's um, a duh. I think Bobby Hart needs to go ahead and retire. Uh, I think he's like 26, and he th- yeah, I think he needs to retire. I mean, the um, dude, every game you could, you could, uh, what, I can't talk. You you knew he would have like two or three holding calls. I mean, Yeah, and, like- <laughs> and, yeah, and of course, of course, like, beyond that, he's the worst right tackle in the NFL, and I'll, like, that, I think there are several backup right tackles in the NFL that could take his spot right now. Um, yeah, I mean, Bobby Hart's just one of those guys where he stands straight up. He tries to use his upper body strength that he doesn't have to block you. And, and he, he gets bowled over by, by defensive lineman, uh, time and time again. So I wouldn't be sad to see him go. Um, if, I'll go ahead and give you three. I'll give you three for sure. Okay. I would say Montez perfect, Cedric Abuehi and Bobby Hart. Those are going to be the three that absolutely there should be no chance they come back this, this coming season. Okay. Oh, 
with Vontez, the uh, follow-up question, is he just someone that is a cut and release, or do we try to move him? Well, I don't because think anybody's going to be interested. Salary. That's why. I, I don't think. Well, he's not a big cap hit if you cut him. If you cut him post June one, I think he's like a two point four million dollar cap hit, which isn't that much. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't think you take a fat cap hit if you cut him, and I honestly, I don't think you really have any other option because I don't think any team in the NFL is going to want him. I don't think any team is going to want to take his contract on. I don't think anybody's going to want to try to trade for him. They don't want to deal with his personality, the seven concussions he's dealt with in his career, the suspensions that he inevitably can rack up again. Um, I think he's just, I think he's a post June one cut. I think that's the way it needs to be. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. I I, I agree with all the ones that you picked. Uh, that's really who I had in mind. <laughs> Just because, yeah. I mean, those kind of a loaded question, huh? Yeah, but it, it's you know, if we're gonna go for change here as the Bengals, we gotta change everything. So, uh, that that's why I wanted to know who you thought on players because that well, yeah, and that you, is and important. You can't have especially with Burfick, you can't have personality issues with a new coaching staff. True, that's a given. Very that's true. a given. All right, so. We're going we're gonna to transition from the Bengals, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to go to someone that we have not talked about in ages, and that is the Cincinnati Reds. Well, it's not been ages. We talked about them with Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp and everything. But the Reds, We haven't taken the time. What? We haven't taken the time with them. <laughs> yes, yes, as you're chugging water. Um, so... They had a big blockbuster trade, and I, I didn't talk about it yet because I had to have Brian here because, uh, admittedly, I know nothing about baseball, and some of you would say that I know nothing about sports in general, and that is fair, okay? I, so, I, I, I'll, be, I'll be a part of that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're I'm just kidding. mean. That is cold. Um, So uh, we traded with the Yankees. Uh, we were able to get um, – Let's see, where is this? I'm sorry, I'm trying to read it. We were able to get Sonny Gray uh, and a minor league left-handed reliever, uh, San Martin, and that's what Cincinnati got, and we traded uh, Shed Long and a high draft pick, uh, the Jets. Oh, my gosh, man. Um, The Jets play football, Lucas. The the Yankees then flipped uh, Long for a center fielder prospect, Josh Stowers or Stowers, however you want to pronounce it. But anyways, the the main point is we have Sonny Gray, uh, and then we were able to get a contract ex- extension with him. He signed three years, $30.5 million extension with us. What are your thoughts about this as a whole, Brian? I mean, does this – are the Reds positioning themselves to be championship caliber next year? They're trying, and they're not there, and I'll tell you why. They're not there yet, but they're making strides to at least be a playoff team. Um, If you remember last year, anytime I talked about a week with the Reds, my biggest complaint, complaint was always, always, always the pitching staff. And if you remember the starting pitching staff last year, it was Homer Bailey as the ace, Luis Castillo, who we still have, Sal Romano, who started strong and ended horribly. Tyler Maley, who was a non-factor. And Cody Reed, who was a non-factor. So, that was a very frustrating pitching staff to deal with. This offseason, we've almost completely made a flip. 
we're dealing with we we brought in Tanner Roark, we brought in Sonny Gray on this trade, and we have Alex Wood who we got in that trade that we that landed us Wegan Kemp uh, from the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. My I'm very excited to see those guys come in here. I'm very excited to see how good Luis Castillo becomes. But the thing that worries me about the Reds is they still don't have a bona fide ace. They have three pitchers who could fall right into the the you know second day, third day category, and that's fine. You need to have balance, balance the power. And honestly, if you get an ace, now you have three excellent pitchers to follow up from your ace. But the thing that worries me is that if we get into playoff contention and we need to go to somebody who needs to be our, our, our strong starter or the guy who needs to win a game seven for us, we don't necessarily have that guy yet. And that's the that's the one thing that worries me. So, this this pitching staff is built very very well to be, to be to be strong throughout the entire season. It's going to be great. It's a great five day pitching staff so far. But I will get worried about um, I will get worried about about come playoff time. Um, if I had to predict what that starting rotation would be, uh, I'd say the best pitcher on the roster right now is Tanner Roark. He's going to be the the day one starter. Um, Sunday Gray will be day two. Alex would be um, Alex would be day three. Luis Castillo before, and Anthony DeScafani will will work his way up and be the fifth the fifth day starter. And I like DeScafani, so I'm okay with that. But um, the the biggest thing that I think Alex Wood brings to this pitching staff, or uh, sorry, Sonny Gray, not Alex Wood. The biggest thing I think Sonny Gray brings to this pitching staff is stability, which is what they they missed all of last year was just stability in the pitching staff. So. Overall, again, I think this definitely makes the Reds a better team, but I think there's still a couple pieces that we can we can build onto this roster to become true, true championship contenders. Is there any ace that we could go out and get, possibly? Um, I don't know as far as free agents and things like that. There are some, there are some uh, you know, there are some aces out there for potential trades, but I don't think the Reds necessarily have enough to offer for them right now. I think we're uh, spent in uh, in trade value. Well, I don't think we're spent in trade. I'm saying if the Bengals want to land an ace, I think the sk- I think they would have to drop up a little bit more on a trade than they would want to after building a roster, building a solid batting rotation, building a decent pitching rotation. So I don't know. If it's possible to uh, to necessarily land one, just because of how much you're going to have to trade, um, but I will say, if there's anybody who has a candidate to have a breakout season, it's Luis Castillo, who could end up being the ace by the end of the season. I would be, I would love that. Would be the perfect world situation for me. Okay. Uh, and then one more thing about Sonny Gray. A lot of people were he had kind of a topsy turvy thing in in in, uh, in New York. Um, he had a couple really good starts, and then you kind of fall off the map and, and whatnot. But I think the problem with the the Yankees were trying to use him like they use their other pitchers, um, who are a bit more fly ball oriented. And Sonny Gray led the MLB in ground ball percentage. He has fifty seven percent ground ball rate, which means out of all out of all of the hit uh, hits he allows, fifty seven percent of them fifty fifty seven percent of contact is a ground ball. Which in Great American Ballpark, a four hundred foot depth ballpark, which is you know home run friendly, you want that kind of pitcher on your staff. So that's why that's what makes me the most excited about him. 
that see that is excellent analysis this is why i go to you when it comes to that sir okay so we have a few minutes left and so the question i want to pose to you sticking with the reds if say nothing changes okay we we go into the season what is your best guess as far as our record for this year? Do we take the division? Are we a wild card team? What what is the likeliness that the Reds are back to winning ways this season? I think the Reds are a wild card team for sure. Um I would put them in the mid to upper eighties win column right now. So they'll be above five hundred and I think that'll get them into the wild card conversation. If we can get to ninety wins this season, I'll be very happy. Because obviously we we were sub we were sub sixty wins last year and and you know a forty win change in one season is 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 plenty to be excited about. So if we can get to ninety wins, I'll be happy. But I would say we'll, we'll at least play above five hundred. Get to, you know get between eighty five and ninety wins um, this season, and we'll get the and we'll I think we'll we'll lock right into the wild card. So then we'll have to play the one game sudden death. Uh, which is the scariest game in baseball. I always say that it's uh, okay. We still have a few more minutes. Okay. Let's talk about this. Okay. I think the sudden death wild card is so dumb for baseball. I don't think so at all. I think it's great. I reason being is because baseball is literally the one sport that other things change how the day's going to go. You know what I mean? Weather, uh, the the humidity, the you know the what time you're playing at, you, all all of this plays into you know the probability of how far the ball is gonna go and you know this that and the other and I think that it uh, the wild card round needs to be like a three game quick series to well, that way we get an actual you know quality sample size of who is the better team here. But at the same time, um, you know, the last game of a team season could be what decides the division as well. You know, so it kind of falls in. I fall into that mentality where, you know, you're, if you're deciding what team's going to sneak into the wild card and then have to play that wild card uh, playoff game, you know, they already had to play again. You know, in in other you know freak circumstances just to get where they're at. So. I think if any if any game needs to be or any series needs to be one game, it needs to be the wild card because the rest of the playoffs are already long enough as as it stands. True, I I just always have this personal belief that uh, baseball is a sport where you're most likely if you are not the better team, you still have a chance to win. Well, it's a game of averages, really. True. So that that's that's why the one you know the the one game playoff has always been interesting to me. If we get there, I would uh, love, 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 love if we could just take a series. Please, Lord, a <laughs> series. That's all I care about because the only thing that still resonates in my head when it comes to my memory of Reds baseball is uh, the no-hitter by Roy Holiday, rest in peace, um, and the um, San Francisco Giants series that we blew. 2012 don't even get me started (laughs) 
you know, those those are the two lasting impressions that I have with this Reds organization over the past decade, and yeah. I am ready for that to be changed immediately. Yeah, don't even get me don't even get me started with that with that 2012 series because that was the most angry I'd ever been as a baseball fan in my life. I, I'm do you do you remember watching all of it and everything? Like, oh yeah, just the, oh, the yeah. tobacco. I mean, we were up. What was it? Was it? Two... We were up. Two, we were up two games to none. Yeah, and then we just we had to win one more because zero. it was a five-game series, won, right? The Giants won three straight. Yeah, the Giants yeah. won three straight. We got dominated um, by uh, oh, who was that pitcher? Uh, was it Linscom? Yeah, Tim Linscom. Tim yeah. Linscom dominated us uh, in that in that deciding game in that very last game of the series. Um, the Reds couldn't put the bat on the ball, and, and the Giants, you know, ended up being the best team in baseball at that point because they won the World Series that year. Uh, yeah, that was that was heartbreaking. Yeah. Sorry to bring yeah, it back up. <laughs> it could have been the Reds. That was the best Reds team we had seen in a very, very long time. It was. And then Dusty Baker and the Cincinnati overall curse just took effect. <laughs> well, it happens. It but happens. Fingers crossed that this organization, that is the one thing that I love and why I'm starting to get more excited for the Bengals year is look I mean the Reds are doing something immediately you know mm-hmm. granted it took the Bengals many a years okay but the Reds this is why I've always loved that organization as you know from top down is if it's not working if it they're gonna make it work because mm-hmm. this or you know the Reds is one of the most historic franchises and they can't mm-hmm. have it where this season I think they had one of their all-time lowest attendance because everyone knew they were going to be garbage yep yep and I mean it's the the great thing is we're, we're seeing a big winds of change thing happening right now in Cincinnati obviously FC Cincinnati is is, is going MLS they've made a bunch of roster changes um, we've seen a lot of new faces come in there the Bengals are bringing in a completely new coaching staff, possibly some new faces uh, on that, you know, in that regard. The Reds are bringing in a bunch of new – I mean, we're just seeing a lot of change happen right now in Cincinnati. So maybe maybe a new wind is upon us as sports fans. Maybe. Or in, in the only way that I can function, uh, maybe this is the onset of Black Death and – we well, yeah, are I mean, this, back to the dark times. <laughs> I would say it's a Lucas Freeman mentality. That would be, yeah. Oh my god, that would be the Lucas mentality. I would say the my my I'm I'm hopeful. I'm I'm glad. I'm I am looking I am looking from the side that has green grass. Lucas is looking going oh, well, the grass is greener over there. No, uh, look, I'm I'm staying positive, but I I just have my eyes on both sides. Like All which right. one's starting Where? the green and which one is starting to die. <laughs> whatever, whatever works for you, man. That's, uh, it'll, it's, it's interesting. It's exciting, but I'm just, you know, I'm nervous because yes, I, I just have this mentality. Like here we are, we're, we're doing this change. Not so much for the reds. Let, let me, let me keep the reds out of this equation. When they make change, I trust them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because they've always done that. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited about the Reds. Like I'm actually going to watch Reds games this year, which is the probably the first time in two or three years. So, <laughs> you know, I'm excited about what they've done. The Bengals is where I'm like, okay, either this is going to be great or we're about to enter the dark times before Marvin Lewis. You know, we we don't know uh, which way this is going to go. 
they got to play the games to show us, right? So That's the truth. So we'll have to wait and see. So thank you for uh, joining the show, sir. We will obviously have you back on again later with Michael. Uh, we got a lot of things to talk about, and I cannot wait uh, to be beat up by you guys like you always do. So, it's going to be a great time. Oh, gosh, it's not going to be great. <laughs> but going to be awesome. All right, sir. I will uh, bring you on again later. Thank you again. Perfect. All right. So that was Brian, everybody. So we are now going to jump into NKU. NKU played Green Bay last night, and they were able to get a easy W like I predicted. They were able to win 87-65. to The game was close uh, to start, but NKU finally got on a roll and were really you know, dominated the defense, which is what I thought would happen. I mean, they kept Green Bay to 20% shooting from the three, 38% from the field overall, while they shot 52% from the field and 41% from the three. Green Bay's defense was not top. Uh, they, they're they not very elite. They're good at um, steals. Uh, they actually are close to the top of the Horizon League in steals, Green Bay that is, but I knew NKU's overall defense, and if they – you know, limited any sort of turnovers, they would be able to come out and be highly effective in this game. And that's what they were able to do. I mean, a 22 point margin of victory. And we lost through uh, about at half or uh, I think a little bit after halftime. I don't remember the exact point because I wasn't able to watch this game. Uh, Drew McDonald ended up going down. He only played 12 minutes of the entire game. He was, uh, he had 11 points, five rebounds and one assist before getting injured. Um, it is unclear if he is going to be ready for the game Saturday, so that's something that we're going to have to take in mind. Um, you know, Drew is definitely the leader of this team, but what's great is he went down. They, they you know, they took him out of the game. They didn't want to push any issues, as we were already winning by that point. And he went out, and and this team just took care of him. I mean, it was amazing the way these guys stepped up. Walton. He had 17 points. Tate added another 12. Sharp added another 14. And then his replacement, I I do not know exactly how to say his name. I'm going to say it's Chris Vogue, or Vogue, however you would pronounce that, ended up coming in off of the bench, getting 20 points and 14 rebounds. I mean, this is a sophomore, okay? He has not had a lot of time because... We have some more experience, and at center we play Drew, who is definitely a smaller center, but in the Horizon League you don't need a big center. But he went in there and dominated. He is 7-1, towering over majority of these players in the Horizon League because he is a is a top-tier size. And that that was effective, and he was able to take advantage of it, and that was very key. I think he coming in while McDonald was hurt, really inspired the rest of the team and why they ended up getting an even bigger margin of victory than I thought was they they were playing for Drew, but then seeing him come out there as a sophomore being that effective, I mean, that is that is what you hope for. And obviously this, you know, he is a sophomore. He may, um, depending on how long Drew's going to be out, may not be entirely effective the entire time, but he is going to have an advantage nine in and nine out basically due to his physicality. And as a sophomore, he only has room to grow and go up. And this is just a great look into what he can become um, as the team become his in a few years. So we're we're obviously going to have to keep a close eye on what's going on with Drew McDonald. Um, 
the game Saturday, 7 o'clock. It is against Milwaukee. You know, NKU now has won five in a row. Uh, we have a 92.6% chance to win this game according to the ESPN Power Index. Even with Drew not in this game, I definitely think that we are going to be able to take care of business and get it done. Um, you know, Milwaukee's 9-12 and 12 on the year. They give up more points than they score on average. Uh, they don't rebound the ball very well. They do not assist very well. And, you know, just ultimately... I think that NKU is uh is is going to go out and get another win, even if Drew is not in this game, not a factor at all. I I believe in them to go out there and do their thing. So again, we're gonna uh hopefully we'll be updated more often uh to figure out what's going on with Drew. Um, but again, great. Great bounce back by Chris Vogg. This was his first career double double, and I mean seven foot one sophomore. That that's uh that's pretty impressive, man, to come out there and help him support. As we are now seventeen and four and seven and one in the Horizon League. So great for NKU. All right, now we are going to talk UK with none other than Michael McCarty, the man that. I don't know how many different ways that I can describe how much he knows UK. Let's just plain and simple. The man knows Big Blue Nation. Uh, welcome to the show, like always, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. We, well, you definitely have some good things to talk about with UK over this past weekend. They, you're, you're. I'm going to let you talk about it because it, it was great. So, obviously, Saturday, we talked about the game. I was a little bit nervous about it. We both agreed that as long as the, the, the matchup against Auburn, they were serviceable, we'd be happy. You know, if it was close, it was an away game, so it's always hard. And Kentucky went out there and got the W, 82-80 to 80 over Auburn. Great win, a statement for this team to really build upon. What was your takeaway in this game, and, you know, what did you see that, impressed you with this game and how we handled that adversity being away on in an SEC game. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I absolutely loved it. And the fact that, I mean, yeah, we only won by two, but that game, we dominated that game for the majority of the game. Uh, we let, we let them get back in it at the end, but that was, Oh, it's, it's so awesome when we were playing so good. Um, now I, I will I will take it. No, we do have to keep in, take into account mm-hmm. their their big man did not play. Okay, so that that did help us. But you know sometimes you need luck, and our luck was their big man was out for that game. We're we're gonna we'll play him again later on the season, and I'm sure he'll be playing. So uh, we'll we'll get a, another matchup against them. But that was huge for the overall resume come tournament time. Uh, that is a giant win for us because that is not one that many people gave us a chance of getting. So I feel like we have stolen a game and replaced the Alabama game now. Okay. So losing in Alabama doesn't matter anymore. So was there anything in particular that you can point out that you really liked that you saw from the squad this game? Yeah, and, and we've mentioned this multiple times. Like, how good can this team be if all the starters play well? Well, we're starting to see how good they can be, and that is amazing i mean four because or five were in double digits yeah i mean it's oh yeah like 
when they all are playing consistently, I don't know how you guard us. And th- that's one thing. Like, usually when you look at a team, you're like, okay, okay, you've got two scores, maybe three scores. Everybody does their part. Everybody on this team can score. Like, at least all of our starters, yeah. which is amazing. Like, that gives us so much depth. It's, it's unbelievable. So, And then the one thing that I love, by the way, is that we talked about on the Friday show about who is the real leader. And yeah. at the very beginning of that Auburn game, oh. Higgins got on Keldon Johnson. Or, yeah. Did I say his name right? Yeah, Keldon. Yeah. I always feel yeah. like I mispronounce it sometimes. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, was, you know, like, wake up, even though I think they were only at the time, like, three minutes into the game. Like, he, you just nailed it on the head, you know, on the oh, Friday yeah. show talking He's, about him being the leader. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he, he showcases it you know, all the time now. I, I love it. And what's even better about that is, yeah, he's the leader and he, he told him to, you know, wake the beep up. But <laughs> what's what's great about it is like after the game, Keldon was like, yeah, I needed it. I'm glad he did it. Like, it's not a bad thing. They're not at each other's throats. They love that they're being, that they're holding each other accountable like this, which is a really good sign. Yeah, accountability is always the best thing. And when people don't take it personal, like you said, that's that's key. Because at that young age, you can tend to take things personally. And, you know, just with maturity hasn't happened yet. So the fact that they respect Haggins enough to be like, yeah, if he's, if he's dogging me, then I'm not d- stepping up and I need to do my part. And they understand that. Yeah, because they're not used to this. I mean, every one of these guys was the star on their team in high school. So they're not used to there being another guy that has to tell them that. They're used to being the big guy on the team, and now they're just one of a unit. And it takes a lot to, you know, it takes them a while to usually come to terms with that and be okay with that. And this team is growing and maturing very quickly, and it is fun to watch. That it is. So that was the Auburn review. Now we fast forward to Tuesday night. We played Mississippi State, who was number 22 in the nation, and we were number eight as we got bumped up after beating Auburn. Uh, we went out there, did our thing, had a nice, calm, you know, easy victory. I should, well, I shouldn't say easy, but big margin of victory as we won 76 to 55. Um, the game was closer at halftime, but we just ran away with it in the second half. P.J. Washington really went out there, put on a show, 21 points from the floor. Uh, Hero also went off, uh, dropping another 18. Um, Reed Travis, man, 12 rebounds. Didn't have a great shooting night, but you know, still was doing his part. And something that I love is we kept our fouls down. Oh, speaking of that, I'm going to circle back to that, actually. Yeah, no, the, uh, that, the worst – well, <laughs> I, I can't even – it wasn't the worst – call officiating call of the weekend Uh but it was uh it was atrocious i i love that you said that (laughs) it was not the most egregious but it was still horrible yes yes Uh, Um, it was almost like the referees were trying to one-up each other all like all weekend long on who can who can make worse calls well we know who Uh won that one so uh yeah there there was more contact in the in the uh, Saints game with a, a receiver than there was in the basketball game, and he got a flagrant foul called. Well, it was just a flagrant one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. But I, I mean, that cost us the game. the The whole I think the only reason why it was that is because he bled. 
That, right. That's, that is my entire thing. That's the only reason why they made it a big ordeal. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. That's the only reason they called it. But, like, I, I'm not even upset that they made that call initially. It, it's going back and reviewing and seeing that it wasn't that way. That's when they need to be like, okay, well, yeah, he was bleeding, but it actually wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was a common and, but foul. Yeah, then they still made that call. That was that was horrible. <sighs> I just I think they wanted to make sure they could get out of the game, you know, without with their <laughs> lives because they're in Auburn and that was a pretty loud and crazy place. So yeah, oh that 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 environment and atmosphere was awesome. It was a great test. So the, it was coming back to the game that we were t- talking about yeah. Mississippi state. So <laughs> we, we sometimes go a little off course. It's all right. Um, we, we kept out of foul trouble, which is good because the Auburn game, we did have a little bit more fouls and all in all, I mean, we, we shot 50% from three, 44% from the floor, and we kept them to 15% from three and 31.1% from the floor. So, Michael, go ahead and you know tell everybody what to take away from this game, especially now that we beat two ranked opponents back to back. What is this just signifying to you as we're getting ready to move on to our biggest test of this month, and that's Kansas? Yeah, we didn't just beat Mississippi State. We we basically spanked them. I mean, it was <laughs> <laughs> we controlled that game. And if and what's oh that game has me so excited. What's so exciting about that game? was we didn't play that well. Like, I mean, we won by 20 points, but we were also missing dunks, missing layups, and turning the ball over like crazy. This team has so much potential. I am, once again, I'm getting, I'm excited like I was (laughs) back when they played in the Bahamas. The ceiling is so high for this team. I I can't wait. That is a slippery slope, sir. Okay. Be be careful. (laughs) Always go to the, the Lucas school of reactions and always be tapered and be, (laughs) and understand that things can make a turn. Me and Brian talked about it. Um, you know, previously when we did his portion of the show and how, you know, I just always like to, to keep myself from going insane by, (laughs) believing a little too much yeah Um, but i am buying in even though i know in our dms i was like was it really a great win and then you just lit me up and i was like okay (laughs) all right uh this this was a good win uh the glass is spilling over uh i'm uh, i'm ready (laughs) yeah yeah no it's fantastic well okay so let's just let's take a step back and look at this kentucky team so we played we played in the bahamas and we played a bunch of pro teams that have had a lot of talent, but quite frankly, were there on vacation. True. So once we started to jump up to a lead, they kind of quit, mm-hmm. which is what you kind of you can understand that happening. So it made us look amazing. Yeah. So then we went into the regular season, and our exhibition games were a little bit closer, and then Duke punched us in the face, and I think right then. Our team lost their confidence. Mm-hmm. All the swagger was gone. And then they started playing all these other teams that they knew they were better than. And these teams weren't giving up like those teams in the Bahamas did. And it confused them. They were, why aren't teams quitting? We don't understand this. We, we start to get a lead and then they fight back instead of rolling over on us. And I think it took them a while to understand, one, what it's like to play at Kentucky and how everybody's going to keep coming after you. And to 
you know, two, get their confidence back from what Duke did to them. And I think now we've got the confidence, the swagger, and the killer instinct, and the fight. I, it is all rolling for this team right now, and they're going to only get better as the season progresses. See, man, you are the only person that can get me excited. Like, <laughs> like now, now, like my heart's racing. I'm like, yeah, he's right. Like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like, geez, Michael, you just the the way with your words, you just know how to empower people. <laughs> uh, and so, with that all being said, big, huge matchup. This this is a, I would say, a rival of ours. Would you say they're a rival, Kansas? Yeah, I mean it's at least a blue blue blood rival. Like yeah. you know, when anytime you get those top four or five teams playing each other, it, every you know both teams will get up for it a little bit more. Definitely. So on Saturday six o'clock we play Kansas. It is at Rupp Arena, right? I believe. Yes. Okay. Sweet. Yes. So that is that's good. Um, and it's game day. It is. It Dude. is. Yeah. We're gonna have the whole crew. We're gonna have Jay Billis talking about a much of uh, all kinds of smack about us and. Everything like right. that. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I like Jay Billis, but sometimes he feels. He, I mean, he's Duke, so um, UK, yes, that's yeah. <laughs> UK has, uh, according to the ESPN Power Index, a sixty-eight point six percent chance of winning this game, which is really higher than I thought it would be. Honestly, um, it's number eight versus number nine matchup. Michael, what do you see? happening in this game what are things that we have to watch for and ultimately who gets to win well kentucky's gonna get the win because they're kentucky and that's what they do but okay. <laughs> it, it really no it's really you know once again just like with auburn kansas doesn't have their big man with azabuki out kansas is a different team true and so, so that really makes it easier for kentucky but i i expect them to really get up for this game and kansas can win this game kansas is still very good but I expect Kentucky to be able to come out with this uh, victory mainly because of them missing Azubuki. I know they're trying to get that freshman cleared to play. I don't know. I didn't hear what happened with that. I don't know if you did either. Uh, I've not heard anything about it yet, so they must still not okay. have officially announced it. Because, uh, of course, Kansas being Kansas, they put in their appeal and saying to try to get the guy cleared for Kentucky to be his first game. But um, I, I don't know if that went through or not. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a tough game. It should be exciting. I, I, it's going to be – I expect a great atmosphere. The crowd should really be up for this game. Um, I expect it to be pretty close, but I think Kentucky will pull it off in the end. I just – unless they take step, uh, you know, a couple steps back from the way they've been progressing, mm -hmm. I really don't see how Kansas is going to be able to stop them at home. So – Here's my whole thing with this matchup. Okay. I think it's going to be a very good matchup, and I'm with you. I think Kentucky can and probably will win this game. But the the thing that I'm going to be watching for the most is, and what I think will be effective, especially with that center being out, is Reed Travis, or Travis Reed. How do I always do – or no, I was right the first time. Yeah, no, you actually yeah. had it, yeah. Yeah, see, I'm so used to second-guessing myself. Okay, <laughs> um, he is going to be a factor because in the Auburn and in the Mississippi State game, he has been not his, not his usual scoring self, I feel like. I mean, I know he had 13 against Auburn, um, but then only three against Mississippi State. He just – to me, he we need him dominant on the low post, taking advantage of the their center not being there, and I think that'll free everyone else up on the perimeter to do their thing. And Kansas, 
can't handle perimeter play. I watched them last week versus Texas, and that's where Texas yeah. was really capitalizing on them was the perimeter play. So I think, uh, you know, Reed Travis is the one that really is going to, if he's on fire, then it's going to be sealed game over from the get go. Um, but if he's struggling, I feel like we may take a little bit of time to to find ourselves. Yeah, and and I think that's I think the finding uh their, themselves is what Kansas is trying to do right now, which is why they're kind of struggling losing mm-hmm. the piece they lost. But um, even if Travis doesn't put up a lot of points, even if he just does the other things, even if he just rebounds well and you know takes up some room there and doesn't give easy layups and stuff, I think that would be good enough for us. Yeah. Um, um re- Travis just cannot score over people taller than him. And I mean, I know that sounds weird, and so, but it is. He just, he has to be the bigger man. Yeah. If he is not the taller guy, he gets stuff blocked constantly and it really affects him. But I think that's he's, just uh, because he's used to that Pac 12 and, and there when he was with Stanford, he was oh, yeah. big, you know, for them. So I think he's right. And well, and they've, <laughs> no, and that's what they've always said about the SEC is they, you know, the SEC maybe didn't always have the best basketball players, but they did have athletic talented like that way they were the most athletic league mm-hmm. and i don't think he's used to some of that athleticism yeah i mean i know that's definitely something that you have to get used to for sure yeah um so that is uh pretty much everything that we wanted to talk about uk wise but Obviously, with this being uh, the Michael segment, we just love to go off and (laughs) and venture into whatever the world finds us. So the thing that I, uh, while you were talking, wrote down because I I thought about it by something that you said, we still have about about 12 more minutes to talk. Um, What was this Twitter take that you had about everyone saying Duke, you know, they've those freshmen and that team. There's never been a team like this that had this much. Uh oh, I can't remember the exact words. You know. Uh, oh yeah, it's ESPN. They were making yeah. me throw up. It was <laughs> it was before the Kentucky game, so I had ESPN on waiting, and they're talking about Duke because that's what ESPN does. And they they were telling people, you know, they were explaining Duke's loss that they had last week, and they're like, you have to understand, anytime you have a young team like this, it takes time to develop. You need to give them a chance. You can't just expect them to come out and play perfectly, you know, instantly at all times. And I I was just like, it's these same people that are like, it doesn't matter that these guys are young. Calipari has stars. They should be playing better. It's just (laughs) amazing to me how one-sided all of that is. Like, okay, if Kentucky had arguably the top three picks in the NBA draft on our team, Mm -hmm. we would... Any loss we had, we would be getting destroyed in the media by Calipari's not a good coach and all of this stuff because it doesn't matter. If you have the top three picks, you should you should be able to beat everybody. And then it's these same media people that are like, well, it's a learning process. You really got to give Duke a chance. Like, oh, Duke better win the title this year because if they don't, <laughs> the entire media should destroy K for not being a good coach, Oh my which God. is stupid. Which is stupid because he is, but that's the way they treat Calipari. So I, I want to see it this exact same way. Oh, the Duke bias is just it. Oh, it drives me up a wall. <laughs> you you know when you're fired up when you. I always have to constantly turn down Brian 
but you I can always keep at the same level. But man, I, I had to do some volume control there because you were fired up. <laughs> that, yeah, I uh, I don't like Duke. <laughs> I don't I don't think anybody does outside of those who are Duke fans. I mean, it pretty yeah. much Duke is universally hated. Um, but remember, you can't spell Duke without UK, so they're always there is that. Below us. There is that. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever had this conversation with you, so uh, you know, since we still have time, okay. I, I want to throw this out there. Have we had the Coach Cal conversation about if he's good or not? I, I don't think so. So me and Brian, we've had this conversation on here a couple times, and we're we're kind of in agreement where we do think that Cal is a decent coach, um, but he's a far better recruiter than than anything and that there are better coaches out there that like coach k and stuff like that who could be more effective and because we don't feel like sometimes he'll uh stick with things a little too long and not make changes early enough and it kind of hurts the team from time to time i mean what are your thoughts as far as you know cal as a coach overall oh i think he's an incredible coach i think we're i think some people are better at different aspects. Like he is not the coach that can take a bunch of three-star players and make a deep tournament run. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, I don't think there was a coach better than Rick Patino at getting the most out of everybody on his team. True. Um, Cal doesn't do that in the, at the same level as like a Patino does, but he does, he doesn't get enough credit for how well he develops players. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've had a lot of players over the years that have come in and not been expected to be one and dones that ended up be, being. And no credit is given to him. They just say, oh, well, they were better than we thought. Or he developed them and got them where they needed to be, mm-hmm. which is what I believe. So I, I, I see what you're saying about, yeah, there are some better coaches out there, but I don't think there's more than a handful. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, like, in college coaches, that's why you have a staff. His X's and O's and play drawing up might not be the strongest out there, but that's why you put those positions in on your assistant staff. You find somebody that's really good at that. You get the bet. You get, you go out there and recruit, get the good players and you know, your coaching staff will help you get the rest worked out. Yeah. I mean that that's a good point. It's funny that you brought up the, the assistant staff because uh, one of uh, uh, a kid that graduated a few years before me and Brian with my wife. Uh, he was their ball boy all through school, and then Coach Cal hired him on to his assistant staff. So he's been down there for like two or three years now in charge of stuff like that. So I'm a, I'm gonna try to hit him up and see <laughs> what all it, it's like to you know work with Cal and yeah. all that fun stuff. Uh, that that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. There was one other thing that I wanted to talk uh, with you about before we start bringing in Brian and both of y'all, and then, you know, my life just becomes fun. Uh, better. So- <laughs> one could even say better. <laughs> That's a bold <laughs> statement. Um, so, uh, did it touch? Did the ball touch Edelman? No. Okay. I don't think it did. I don't think it did. Of all the bad missed calls this weekend, I don't think that was one of them. I don't either. So I'm I'm super glad that you said that. Uh, yeah. I didn't write that in as something that we're going to talk about later. So I figured I'd give you the the opportunity to talk. I people were all about you know oh no it touches his thumb. It's like there's three angles and if you add them all together, you can clearly see he did not touch it. Yeah, I I don't understand how. 
Like, I, I don't understand. Like, I think it the, the five physics, but he didn't <laughs> touch the ball. <laughs> it was so close, but I, and because it was, he wasn't trying to miss it. And he's so good at catching the ball. I don't understand how he actually whipped on it, but he did. I mean, the, the football gods were, were watching over him. If he, but then, you know, everybody well, was like ball doesn't lie. And then the very next play, it goes through his hands and gets picked off. <laughs> Yeah, no, that no, yeah, he he touched it that time, but yeah, no, he, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but it's the Patriots, so I mean, I it's really the football devils that help them, not the football gods. So, <laughs> wow, okay, I didn't I didn't realize that. I forgot that you you and Brian aren't a fan, but I yeah, um, no, I'm I'm completely one hundred percent jealous of Tom Brady. We've we've talked about this. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have everything. It's not fair. I mean, but. Uh, it's what happens when you're a Michigan man. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. <laughs> uh, He's so smug too. Did you hear him in his post game interview? Which one? I, I, you know, it's funny cause he's probably not even smug, but it's like his post game interview where the guy asked him a question and he ignores it. And he was like, I just wanted to take a second to thank my beautiful wife. It's like, yeah, we all know you married a supermodel <laughs> man. Just answer the guy's question so we can go on with our day. No, no. What? It's funny though that you mentioned that because I just talked to my wife about this. It, you know what? You, you know, you thought that it was smug that he ignored it and brought up his wife. That's even more telling about his family. Okay, so this was the AFC Championship game where I bet in, in that crowd and in those box seats and everything were a bunch of players, family members. His family yeah. was like, "Nah, we don't want the cold. We're gonna stay home and relax. We'll see you at the Super Bowl." Like none of his family came. Like, yeah, they, oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it, what, they've been there what nine straight years. Sometimes, sometimes you know, the same vacation. If I went to Disney for nine straight years, I'd probably get a little tired of it too. <laughs> so, like that is the utmost. Like, oh, we'll 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 see you at the Super Bowl. Don't don't worry yeah. about. Yeah. Oh it. yeah. Uh, it's like oh yeah, we we had other stuff scheduled that day. Uh, <laughs> we'll you know we'll keep Super Bowl weekend open, but other than that, no, we're busy. Yeah. Gosh. Well, and then you know all the stuff afterwards. I told uh brian in um text message that honestly because people are all talking about like oh here he is you know playing that we doubted him and how he's like you know making all these sayings and stuff and i was like i think we're finally seeing the real tom brady like where he's just like screw all y'all <laughs> like I, how has he not been like that for the last decade i mean he's just gone in and done his thing and now I feel like it's time where he's really vocal about it. Yeah, I don't really feel like he's been modest about his success up to now, though. No, not not modest about it, but he'll he the way he's calling people out, like the the way he just doesn't care. I mean, the man who is always a very composed dropped the f bomb three times on national television, and nobody batted an eye. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, to be fair, he's not wrong. I mean. How was he an underdog? He shouldn't be. He should no, he, no. You he, don't make him the underdog like ever. But like when he's <laughs> when he's seventy five and with a cane out there, you're still gonna <laughs> you know at worst put him like a one point favorite. <laughs> at worst, <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, but that's what the media have done. He's old. Everyone's slow. They're not good enough. This, that, and the other, and. Here they are once again. Back yeah, in the Super Bowl. and he's still going to play another five years. I mean, 
he's going to play, in my opinion, until the game is boring because he has done everything. So it, it's I really just, his preference. I mean, I just figured he was going to play until his contract with Satan ran out. And then that was when he would retire. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Satan. Wow. So original. Okay. Well, we still yeah. do. <laughs> we still do have. Three more minutes, okay? So I got one more question that I didn't yeah. save for the NFL just because I feel like Brian would go on too long, but I know that you will you will <laughs> nail this. Um, okay. Tony Romo, best broadcaster ever? Yes. Oh, without a <laughs> doubt. Like, I, <laughs> um, I, I feel like when I'm watching a game that Tony Romo is calling, it's the closest I'm ever going to have to having a superpower where I can see into the future a few minutes. I mean, it's unbelievable how yes. he just nails it. Uh, I love that he's so good at calling the plays that now there's a controversy that says, um, have you heard about this? The conspiracy theory that he hacked into the call feeds and that's how he's doing it. What? Yeah, it's absurd. Like, no you way. know you're good when people can't fathom that you're that good at calling those plays that you have to be somehow cheating it. Well, I just know the one that stuck out the most to me where, like, my jaw dropped. It was fourth and inches, okay? It's when the Patriots had to score, and they were in um, inside the 10, and they walk up to the line. They're in I formation, so you think that it's going to be a run up the gut, and then Romo's like, oh, nope, he's, he, he's, he's killing. I bet you what that means. He sees that there's a mismatch over on the right side. They're going to do a, a outside zone to uh, Sony Michelle, and sure enough, Outside yeah. zone to the right for a touchdown. Like, what? I mean, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Although, it, what my question is, is if he's this good at calling the play, why isn't somebody hiring him as a defensive coordinator? You just sit in the booth <laughs> and watch the lineup and then call down to tell the defense what to do. Yeah, they'll just need to, like, keep them live. Like, all right, yeah. guys, Brady's checking. So, okay. Uh, yeah, blitz, it's like blitz, he doesn't blitz. call the play until the <laughs> offense lines up, and then he's like, the only way to you know defeat him is to play rush offense, so he doesn't have time to get the plays out. Oh my gosh! Well, that was the other thing, you know. Real quick to wrap this up, that you 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 talked about that conspiracy theory, but a lot of people are saying that he needs to become a head coach in the league. Well, and he okay. The the thing is, is he recognizes with the schemes what's been called. And he understands how to play quarterback, but he's not necessarily calling the plays himself, though. True. Like, that's where I don't know if he would be good at that. Very true. I, it, it's it's just a beautiful thing. I hate it. I, I think he needs to stay in the booth. He's too entertaining. I, oh, no, I agree with that. Like, he, I hated him as a player, but, man, I am in love with him as a announcer. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he finally, he finally gets to go to a Super Bowl. Oh, that that's dirty. Oh. <laughs> Well, on that note, <laughs> that's how we uh, end today's local segment. Again, this local segment is brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app or or go to SeatGeek.com. I had to stumble there. And use code Double Technical for $20 off your first ticket purchase. So I'm going to take a brief intermission, and then we're going to come back with Michael, who's still here with us, and Brian as my life becomes very interesting, or as Michael says, better. So we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Double Technical Podcast, everybody. Again, this is your host, Lucas Fryman, in case you forgot. And I am joined 
by uh, the duo that keeps me up at night from Night Terrors, the ones that find ways to torture me and make me wonder if I truly know anything about sports. Michael and Brian are now with us with the show. Hello, guys. What's going on? What's up? Wow. You know, uh, very, your, very nightmares are, your, your nightmares are created by you. It's not like we're we're not colluding to make this happen, Lucas. Are you sure? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, are we really that much in your head? Because that's awesome. <laughs> that, that yeah, means- if we are that much in if we are that much in your head, then we are like the Richard Sherman of mind games. <laughs> I mean, it 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 happens, man. I'm 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 afraid. I constantly got to look over my shoulder every time I start a sports take. I just, I, I just don't know what's going to happen. As they, I mean, they, they might as well just call you the shook one. I, I am the shook, shook one. Lucas the shook one, Fryman. <sighs> it's all right. I'll, I'll be doing Nike from now on. So, um, <laughs> um, all right. Thing that we're gonna talk about to start this wonderful segment <laughs> is, uh, the crazy. NFL Sunday that was I I talked about it briefly on Monday but obviously we got to have the guys on here to talk about their opinion and everything so Brian real quick give a very brief rundown of the Rams versus Saint game since I've already talked about it once on the show but in case anybody's somehow forgotten to this point yeah uh Sean McVay um proved to be one of the better coaching minds uh in the NFL at the very ripe young age of 32 years old uh, and the Saints got screwed by a pass interference call, and it worked out in the favor of Sean McVay and the Rams. Uh, the Saints couldn't capitalize on having overtime, uh, the first overtime possession, and 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 you know the 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 Rams proved uh, that they deserved to be in Super Bowl contention, even though they were given a freebie by the referees at the end. Very That's well done, as saying by doing it briefly. Michael, are you as impressed as I am? Yeah, no, that I, I was I was planning on going to get a drink, and I thought I'd have time and everything, but no. Yeah, yeah, guys, well. guys, I did so well last week. You got to let me keep you, the streak going. You, okay, okay, okay yeah. Well, I got to stay motivated, folks. Uh, okay, you're right, you're right. You have been doing very well about it. All right, so yeah, that, that was a great review, and the thing that obviously <laughs> that we are going to talk about and that I want the opinion from the guys from is should pass interferences or penalties, okay, be able to be challenged? Um, I'm going to start off with my opinion so you guys kind of know where I stand. I think that coaches should have three challenges in a game, okay, and they should be able to challenge anything, whether it be – was the is was it a catch or was it a fumble? Where's the spot of the ball and flags as well? And they have to save them and use them. And in the final two minutes, I think it has to be called up to the booth, just like we do now. If it's an egregious play, I mean, college football does this. They'll they'll call down and you know say, look at this, and they'll get it right. So the fact that the NFL doesn't do that kind of upsets me because I feel like college officiating is way better than the pro, which is not right at all. So my opinion is, is yes, they should be able to be challenged. Michael, let's start with you. What is your take on everything? So, okay. So I guess the the question is, does my, my question is at least, does the flag have to be thrown and then it can be challenged or can you challenge a play and say there should have been a flag thrown? I, it should be both ways. 
both ways. Okay. So I guess my biggest concern of that is, is number one is slowing down the game. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're adding more challenges, you're going to slow down the game. But the, I, I've always had it explained to me by people that played football and know more about football than I do that you could call holding on every play. Yes. So if that's the case, are we just going to have key moments of every game, the other coach, you know, the coach throwing out their challenge flag to, you know, change the outcome and to, you know, stop a first down from happening. They, they could throw one on every play. Well, here's here's the counter to that technically the replay system was put in the nfl to challenge egregious blatant missed opportunities okay it was not really designed for us sitting there looking at julian edelman's thumbs and his arms and whether or not he touched the football it was which which we already talked about said he didn't brian i don't know if you feel that way as well um, I don't think he touched the football either. Um, okay. I think he had a twitch reaction. But. Good, good. Um, we're all in agreement on something. Um, so, you know, it would have to be something like blatant that they could challenge and overturn. It has to be, you know, without a doubt, it can't be, you know, some minuscule hold or something like that to kind of combat that. And, you know, college football handles it very well by if there's something big, they'll just call down to the refs and say, Hey, you need to look at it. I just don't understand why we can't do the same, but I see what you're getting at. That would be problematic, but I think it has to be blatant. Yeah. But then you're okay. So yeah, I, I understand that, but blatant is hard to define in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, Cause you're still having referees have to give their opinion on what's blatant. True. And then you're also like, yeah, you can call like college calls down to look at something blatant, but it's, it's more, they're looking to see if it was like helmet, to helmet contact or not. Uh-huh. <coughs> so yeah, that I can understand. And I'm on board with, I, I honestly think you have to accept that referees are going to make mistakes as part of all sports, or you're going to have to completely change the system to where, you add more cameras, and you're having referees sit in a room staring at TV screens instead of being on the field so that they can catch everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, some they, they kind of do that already, but yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but they, they don't. I, I, know. I mean, and the same thing, you could say it with all sports. I mean, in basketball, the problem is the athletes are moving too fast for a lot of people's eyes to catch quickly, mm-hmm. so that, that's why they miss calls. I mean, in baseball, are you going to – automate the pitch, uh, you know, the strike zone and have just a computer tell you if it was a strike or not. I mean, I, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, human errors always factor into sports. That's the, that's the whole element of it. Um, you know, I definitely, especially when we're talking about a sport that still uses uh, ten, 10 yards of a chain to determine whether or not the ball is right. first down or not. But I mean, you, you make some valid points, sir. Um, Brian, what about you? Uh, I'm going to actually, I'm going to kind of sit on the fence. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take from both sides here. Um, I don't necessarily think either extreme is a good thing. Um, if I were to, if I were to design a system where penalties get reviewed, I would only allow two penalties, uh, to, to be reviewed. And that would be pass interference calls 
uh, on either side of the ball, offensive or defensive, especially if there's a contested situation where, you know, maybe a receiver pushed off or maybe the defender made contact first or kick catch interference on punts are the only two times that I would, I would try to make a distinction uh, on, 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 on those kind of reviews. Um, the reason being is exactly Michael kind of took my takeaway from me uh, when he said that there was holding on every play. Cause that is a fact. There is probably holding on every single play at any level of football. Um, so if you review every penalty, you open up the door while you may say it needs to be something blatant when, when, uh, when you start off, you know, this system, just like when the replay system was developed, you, you open the door for every single play to get reviewed over and over and over again. If you start reviewing things like holding, um, and, and even, I mean, if I had to extend it out even a little bit further, maybe I would say you start reviewing roughing the passer. Because I feel like there are a lot of dramatic roughing the passer calls now, especially there was one that was called on the Chiefs that was absolutely terrible um, towards the end of the game against the Patriots, um, where basically the contact, the only contact that was made was the Tom Brady's helmet by a hand. And I think stuff like that, uh, and, and to Michael's credit there, I think you only call that if the flag is thrown. Uh, if like a ref in the passer is called where it seems like it might be a little suspect, but yeah, I, if I were to start reviewing penalties, um, I would do, I would probably do pass interference, uh, on offensive and defensive side of the ball and kick catch interference. And I don't think it needs to extend any further than that, because I think there are a lot of times where the offense and the defense misses opportunities because of errant pass interference flags. Any rebuttal, Michael? No, I mean, I, I, I think it's, solution on how to go about it so it would be too hard to start um i mean if anything okay so both stations that have you know the football games have their guy that they call that's like their referee expert and then they give their opinion maybe have something like that if you're going to do it to where if there's a challenge on a penalty you call the headquarters where the officials are watching it and the official, and there can be a definitive decision made from the headquarters on whether or not it was a flag. Um, but I still think that slows things down. If I was football and I was going to change anything, I would put tiny little GPS chips in both ends of the football. <laughs> and then <laughs> that way put a grid under the field to where you actually know where the ball was at all times see i see i i definitely agree with that one i mean we have the technology for it but i don't what if i said you kind of touched on it though michael what if i said you know with the way that i say we should do it where you can challenge everything but you got three challenges okay what if you know how i said that it has to be blatant what if we say that they only get the ref only get uh three replays and they have to make the decision that way it's the gut immediate thing rather than slowing it down and everything that way they have to immediately make a call then i think you're still gonna have we're still gonna be having the same discussion because it was still gonna be because then you're gonna be like what well, was rushed and they didn't actually get it right because mm-hmm. they didn't have time to watch it so then i think we're just gonna be in the same boat but with a, a new step in between anything else from you brian no i mean i think i think uh, all of our opinions are pretty pretty clear uh it's kind of interesting how we allowed three sides of this argument to happen yeah i mean <laughs> well you're the one that played the middle so i did i had to because i because i that was kind of what i was thinking and honestly i had been calling for i've been calling for passing interference reviews for quite a long time 
Um, I thought that that was a necessary thing even five years ago Mm -hmm. um, as the officiating in the NFL has kind of dwindled because I feel like it's just gotten worse and worse every year as they keep redefining the rule book over and over again. So with all that being said, I think I already know the answers from y'all on the next question that I had planned out for us. So Michael Thomas uh, on Twitter gladly uh, tweeted out some things to NFL and Roger Goodell and uh, apparently tried calling him and hitting him up and didn't have any uh, success as there is a rule in the rule book in which you can make a game go back and play and finish it out from whatever point that the commissioner deems fit to get the correct outcome of the game. Uh, Brian, we'll start with you on this one. Should Roger Goodell use his ultimate powers and make them replay the game from that pass interference call? No, absolutely not. Because if they did that, then they have to go back to 2015 and replay the Bengals Steelers game because Vontez Burfick didn't have a helmet to helmet hit on Antonio Brown. <laughs> wow. And Joey Porter shouldn't have been on the field. So I, you basically have to reset the Bengals and Steelers rosters and have them play that game today. Oh so gosh. if they're going to do that for the Saints and the Rams, then I, they're going to have to do that for the Bengals and Steelers back then and probably for a multitude of other games in history. So I don't think they should replay this. All the referees' decisions by the end of the game should be final, regardless of whether or not the call was wrong or not. While I do think the rule needs to change, it needs to happen after the fact, not now. Wow. Uh, again, brief. Michael. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, the Saints need to quit being babies about it. It's over. They, If they didn't want to lose the game, they shouldn't have let them come back. They had yeah. a big lead. So, Absolutely. I mean, yes, that was a game-changing moment that did probably screw them out of the victory, but there were also many other moments in the game where they could have played better and won easier. I mean, so, Michael Thomas had plenty of opportunities to catch enough passes to get to the end zone uh, in overtime. So, but yeah, I mean, score all those touchdowns? outside of having a great name, I disagree with him. But here's the thing. <laughs> it, nice, Michael. <laughs> um, <laughs> here, if this was our teams, if this was the Colts for you, Michael, if this was the Bengals for us, we would also be up in arms because this is two years now in a row where they get you know, screwed over, but granted the first one was a, a an error by, you know, Lattimore, who, by the way, bounced back way better than I thought he would after giving up that touchdown, the the Viking miracle. Um, this is two years now where they're the the end of their season is devastating. You would be calling for some action because that was easily the most blatant pass interference ever not called. I mean, you could see the guy yeah, make but, the decision but at the same time, but, that he's just going to plow through him way before it even but happened. But Lucas, Lucas, we as Bengals fans went through the same sentiment of heartbreak not four years ago. Not, I mean, not even four years ago we went through this exact same thing. And we were all calling for it. <laughs> we weren't calling for a replay of the game. We couldn't. I wouldn't. We, if that's what the referee's going to roll with, then that's what we got to deal with. We all wanted something to be done. I mean, even if you just look at the logistics of it, when are you supposed to play that game this weekend? And then one Super Bowl team has two weeks to prepare and one has one. So just look at that part. There's no way to get it done. But I I also disagree. One of the, you know, losses that hurt me the most in my life is that 38 and one Kentucky team. And there were a couple huge missed no calls at the end of that game that mm-hmm. would have changed the outcome that could, very easily could have changed the outcome of that game. Mm-hmm. And it never once crossed my mind that we should replay. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, but at the end of the day, the referees call the shots. And if that's the way they're going to call the shots, then if you're going to make any changes, it needs to happen after the fact. Um, and, and hope that, you know, the ball falls in your favor next year. That's all you can do at this point. Okay, so what about this? Uh, I don't, I didn't have this wrote down, but since you know how we're talking about it, what about accountability? Uh, does this uh, refing staff, or how, how the correct way to say it for the NFL, do they need to be p- penalized for this? I mean, no, honestly, you, I mean, you can't penalize a referee staff other than take their job. So. You know, most of the time I've seen the NFL suspend referees in the past. If, if that's the way they want to go, then I, I, I don't necessarily see fault in it. Um, but I, what I would do is I would at least prevent e- either that particular referee that was there for that pass interference call or that referee crew from calling a playoff game next year. But I don't think you necessarily take all their jobs away. Well, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying being held accountable. Like they have to make a public statement saying – you know, these refs missed it on this play that was very blatant and they are being reprimanded internally. Michael, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the I could see the league made, making a statement, which they did. They made a statement that they missed it. And then I would say this would make the likelihood of this group getting another playoff game next year. Um, that, that would make it like harder for them to do it. Um, I, I don't know. It, yeah, reprimand. They missed the call. Better training, maybe better, you know, vision healthcare for their referees. I don't know. Vision healthcare. They need to get them better optometrists. Oh yeah, get them. Uh, have mandatory eye tests. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that was just it was bad. But all right, so we we digress from championship game number one. Then we're going to move on to the Patriots. I almost said Patriots. Uh, the Patriots versus the Chiefs. Uh, my brief review is um, it was all Tom Brady, then it was all Patrick Mahomes, then it was all Tom Brady. Um, the end. So uh, we know all the crazy things that happened in this game as far as uh, a few questionable things, which I'll bring up with y'all because I do want to talk about it, even though I didn't write it down. Um, first off, we we all have our opinion on the Edelman thing. What about the pass interference call? <laughs> Uh, Michael, let's start with you. Was that a, or not pass interference? Uh, roughing the passer. Oh no, that they, they missed that call too. It was, you know, somebody's hand got too close to Pretty Boy's face, so they had to throw a flag. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that was definitely a bad call. Um, once again, though, the I mean, these happen. You, you're no game has been played with perfect officiating. Mm-hmm. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I mean. The, yeah, it, I mean, you heard my opinion on it earlier. It wasn't a passenger, or it wasn't a rough in the passer call, but um, I don't know. I think this game ultimately fell down to the greatest combo of 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 team, coach, and player of all time is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And I officially conceded on Twitter earlier this week. Uh, I officially conceded that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. I can't. I mean, the fact that you're just now doing it, you're at least three years behind, man. Um, but I, but I told you. I mean, and you've known this for years that I've been a Manning guy. I've been a Peyton Manning guy. I don't think anybody's changed the game more than Peyton Manning has from a quarterback perspective. Uh, and I still, I still hold that sentiment. 
But when you're talking about winningness and consistent greatness, I, I gotta give it. I have to give the nod to Tom Brady. I was about to say that the Jordan fan that you are should say that you think that Tom would think that Tom Brady's the best because he has more wins. Because yeah, Peyton Manning changed the game more, just like LeBron did. But you know, wins is all that matters. So well, no. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here, here's here's the thing though. You're combining with Michael Jordan. You're combining greatness and changing the game. Tom Brady hasn't necessarily changed the quarterback position in any way, shape, or form. He's just done it better than anybody. I mean, last time I checked, Jordan played retired firefighters. So, the, anyways, as far as changing the game, we um, don't need to have that argument uh, right now. But what so, I'm you're, you're missing you're missing my point right now. Yeah. Tom Brady Tom Brady has just played the quarterback position better than anybody in history. Um, at, that's that's his best receiver is Julian Edelman, and Julian Edelman has had no right to be an excellent receiver in the NFL. But the person that made him great was Tom Brady. You look at it through history. You look at Wes Welker. Wes Welker had no business being a great receiver in the NFL. Tom Brady made him great. Uh, I could I could go down the list. Danny Amendola was made great because of Tom Brady. So I mean, the fact of the matter is, this game just just solidified Tom Brady as 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 the greatest to ever do it. A hundred percent. This is the one that he would find to go long on, Michael. I mean, how how does that work out? Well, you contested me, so <laughs> I, uh, I I also um, am a big Manning guy, but I think Tom Brady is the greatest ever. I would say he has passed by Joe Montana for that, though. Um, I, I I think Montana was a, a little bit more successful than Manning, uh, which would make him a little bit higher. But the um, yeah, I just it's frustrating to watch when you don't when you're not a fan of them, but they are consistently good. It does not matter who the personnel is as long as it's Tom Brady, they're going to win. Yeah, I, it's true. And that and that's the crazy thing. There's some banging going around. Um so the so the question really about this game and what ultimately everything came down to is, you know, should the overtime rules be changed? As obviously we got to see with two minutes left, we we all texted each other saying that Tom Brady had too much time. Then 39 seconds left, we all said we think Patrick Mahomes has too much time. And then, you know, now we get to the overtime and a coin flip essentially decided the outcome of the game as – we knew whoever got the ball because of how hot they were playing, they were going to go down and score a touchdown and win the game. So, um, Michael, we'll start with you. Should the overtime rules be changed in the playoffs? There, there needs to there. Yes, there needs to be a change. I don't know exactly what the answer to that is. Um, I don't know. I, I've kind of heard some people say just play another quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, I that also could end in a tie. Um, so I don't know, you know, that's not necessarily the solution, but I like, I I think one of the keys is that playoff overtime needs to be changed. Yes. And because a lot of the complaints I've heard and the reason I've heard that the NFL doesn't want to go the college route is for a couple reasons. Number one, they don't want to risk the injuries because that's a lot more football. So you're going to have more injuries that are going to happen in an extended overtime period. Oh, but we'll do it with the young guys who aren't making any money. Yeah, well, there's that. Um, Yeah, they don't want to have to pay players more because if you're going to play them more, you're going to have to pay them more. And they don't want to exhaust the players so that postseason football takes a hit and isn't as successful. So during the regular season, leave it the way it is. 
But yeah, in the postseason, it's got to be something different. Even if you just give the other team a chance to answer. So like, even if it's like, okay, you win the, you win the coin toss. So you get the ball, you go down and score, you give the other team a chance to match that. And then you get the ball again. And if you go down and score again, then that's it. Because, but you gave the other team an opportunity to match you. And that, and that's how I exactly looked at it. Like it should just go to no matter what you score first. Okay. The other team has to match it or surpass it. And if they do that, then, then it becomes sudden to death because now it's like, okay, you've given this defense time to recuperate and and get ready for this, you know, so you, you have one shot. But, Brian, what are your thoughts? Um, you might be surprised by this, but I actually – I really like the overtime rules as they are right now. Um, reason being is because, obviously, football is a full-team sport. And ultimately, the reason that the Chiefs lost was because they couldn't keep the Patriots out of the end zone. If they could have even limited the Patriots' offense to a field goal, then their, their high-powered offense gets on the field, probably scores a touchdown and wins that game. So ultimately, I don't think the overtime rules failed the Chiefs at all. I think the Chiefs failed the Chiefs because they couldn't keep the Patriots out of the end zone. I like the idea of if you can, if you can at least limit them to a field goal, you get an opportunity to go down there and tie or win the game. That doesn't bother me at all. So. Frankly, I, I think I, I like the rules as they stand. I don't necessarily I, – I, I, maybe a change in the playoffs happens where you play five-minute periods, and, and if it's still tied, you play another five minutes, maybe something like that. But ultimately, I, I really don't hate where the overtime rules are right now. Um, it, I, I get what you're saying, and that's what a lot of people, especially those who played the sport, were saying because you know they're like, do your job, and this wouldn't be an issue. Um, but you know, kind of how I said, uh, when we picked the games, Andy Reed was going to be the decision maker. And the fact that he did not take the time to call a timeout when you could yeah, see that absolutely. his was gassed. Absolutely. And, and what, what did I tell you? What did I tell you midway through the season? I said the exact words to you. I said, the thing that's going to fail the chiefs in the playoffs is going to be Andy Reed's coaching and their defense. That's what's going to fail them. And it proved true. Because at the end of the day, if you give that offense time to score, then they go completely by merit on their offense to go to the Super Bowl. And, and their defense had to be they, – they have to be a more well-rounded team than that, and their defense just wasn't good enough. Oh, yeah, and we have to shout out, by the way, that uh, Brian went 2-0 and in his playoff picks, and Michael and I went 1-1. I'm so sorry, Michael, for cursing you. That's all right. I'll get over it. Lucas, I, I, now you just have to, uh, Michael. You just have to let Lucas pick first every time, so you know that whatever he picks, you're going to go the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. We're doing that from now on. Wow. No, okay. I, yeah, yeah. I honestly like though. I I've talked myself into it. I want if you drive down and score a touchdown, the other team automatically gets a chance, no matter what you do, to match it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, if they match it, then after that, it goes back to you and whatever happens, happens. Plus, to even make it a little bit more exciting, you have to go for two if you score a touchdown. That's, a, that's an interesting take. I, I, I like that, that you have to go for two. But, I mean, I, but I right, now, as that... it, right now, as it stands, I, I think if, if, if on the first possession, if you can't keep that team out of the end zone, then you don't deserve a win. 
Yeah, I just look at it like, you know, they're only getting a short break from the end of the period to the start of the next. And if you're going, you know, if your defense was on the field already trying to stop them there at the end and then they have to immediately go out there, you're already at a slight disadvantage. So, you know, that's why I think everyone gets two full drives and then it's sudden death, That, the, in my opinion. But we'll see if the NFL actually changes it. We'll we'll see. Odds are probably not. They They try not to change too many things like that uh, to have too big of an effect on outcomes of games. Um, Real quick, one last thing about the NFL. I I literally just wrote this down to see what uh, comedic things y'all could end up coming up with. Um, I wanted your reaction to the fact that ex-running back uh, McFadden uh, used to play for the Raiders and everything, uh, was arrested in the drive-thru lane at Whataburger. Um. Michael, Brian, any take on that? <laughs> Mike, I can let you start with this one. I mean, yeah, I think it's hysterical. Um, how does he not have, like, snacks at home to eat? <laughs> like, I get it, but he played in the NFL. You're telling me he can't – he doesn't have a frozen pizza in his freezer he can throw in? He Michael, I have to pose a, Mike, Michael, Michael, I have to pose a question to you. Have you ever had Whataburger? No. Have you ever had water? Oh man, then you haven't you haven't enjoyed a nice post beer water burger. <laughs> when you've had several to drink and 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 you're driving and you see that big W on the side of the highway, I got to experience a couple times in my life. It's a really inviting sight. Um, I'm not necessarily sanctioning drinking and driving, folks, but if you're in the passenger seat and your sober driver sees that big W on the side, you make them stop. <laughs> I, I have seen I have seen this happen though before when I was in college at Murray State. There was a guy passed out in front of us in the Hardee's drive-thru. What? So I have actually witnessed this happening. Yeah. 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 And I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. Anybody, anybody, I feel like that's the most, he, Darren McFadden has officially become the most relatable football player of all time because everybody's gone through that at least once by the time they, they turn his age, but, you know, yeah. roughly 32. I mean, point. yeah, it's still, it's still only the second best ex-sport, ex-athlete getting a DUI story out there, though. Which one Which one do you What's have at first? number one? Oh, Charles Barkley's will always be the best. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I, but don't, I don't know that one. You, you, you'll have to Google it if we don't. I, I'll tell it, but then we'll end up with an E. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah let's yeah, not yeah, do yeah. that. You I already should, have to believe what Brian wants. definitely once. Google it. Uh, but, but, but this one... This is a good one. And honestly, um, I, I don't think it would have mattered if Darren McFadden would have gotten his burger or not by the time he got handed it to him. Because I think once he would have taken that bite, it would have tasted so good he would have just passed out right there. It would have been worth it. Do you think they let him get a burger? I think so. I mean, I, I think the cops should have at least let him get a burger and be like, all right, you're, you're going to jail, but I'll give you a burger to eat in the back. But we'll, yeah, we'll cuff you in the front. We'll cuff you with your hands in front of you, and you can just feed yourself with the burger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's the thing. That's that's post beer water burgers. That's a typical, that's a typical post beer water burger story. Is in the back of a cop car holding it on. It just happened to happen to an ex NFL athlete who was one of the best college running backs of all time, most relatable football player ever. <laughs> all right, that was more than I was bargaining for. I'm so glad I put that in there. Um, all right, so <laughs> awkward transition time. Now we're on to the NBA. Um, oh, that's a league full of DUIs. <laughs> so the, the question that I wanted to pose to everyone first, Clay Thompson went 
off the other night. He was able to score 44 points off of 41 dribbles. Um, and he, face it, he is one of the best, if not the best catch and shoot uh, shooter of all time. But the, the question that I wanted to pose is really because we know the best shooter is Steph Curry, but would you say that Clay Thompson is officially the second best shooter of all time ahead of people like Reggie Miller and Ray Allen? Uh, let's start with Brian. Lucas, I think that is the most disrespectful question you could have ever asked as a former Heat or as a Heat fan. How? I mean, yes, Ray Allen hit one shot for me that mattered, but he he was, I mean, he was. A great shooter, the fact that you but, could even entertain the idea that Clay Thompson is a better catch and shoot player than Ray Allen is laughable. The fact that you could say he's a better shooter than Reggie Miller, who I will say never won the three point contest, but the fact that you're you're putting him ahead of Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, I mean, I would even put Dirk Nowitzki above Clay Thompson right now. Hundred percent, I would put really? Dirk. Really, he's going to finish yeah, with more threes and a everything seven than footer, all of them. A seven footer like Dirk Nowitzki, nobody could shoot like him ever as a seven footer until obviously the modern crop of the league came in. But, but you're telling me that you're going to put Clay Thompson over at least those three guys, and I could go down the line and name a thousand others. But we're talking like three point shooting and things like that. That you know what has changed the game? I mean, he's going to have more than all of them. Nah, I. I We'll see about that because the the big thing that defined uh, Ray Allen and Reggie Miller especially uh, was just their consistency from beyond the arc. And I don't I don't know if Clay Thompson can have that consistency all the way late in his career. I mean, we're talking Ray Allen had that kind of consistency in the last few years of his career at the age that he was playing. What did he, he played into his forties, didn't he? Yeah, he was old, uh, and he still he had that 40. kind of consistency. The fact that you would put Clay Thompson above him in that category is ridiculous. Uh, Michael, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have to agree with Brian here. I think. I, I think that's a problem people m- make too often these days is seeing somebody and then labeling them the greatest of all time or in that conversation. I mean, I. I he's behind Larry Bird too. Yeah, there, yeah. There's what? a lot of people that have been able to shoot the ball well. Um, he he's very good at it. And I think there's a legitimate argument that Steph Curry's the greatest shooter of all time. Oh, I, I would say I would agree with that 100%. Yeah, I, I, I do. I just don't think he's I, too I inconsistent. <laughs> and even his coach, even his coach just said it the other day. Yeah, he's going to go off like that three or four times. And his coach is Steve Kerr, another one of the greatest shooters. <laughs> right, of all time. yeah. But he doesn't, he also has huge slumps throughout every season. So I can't label him as one of the greatest when he's not as consistent as any of those other guys were. I'm I'm really surprised. Uh, I mean, Lucas, Lucas, Chauncey Billups, Steve Nash. Come on, man. They they were not shooters like Clay can be. Yeah. When Clay is hot, he rivals Curry as the best shooter of all time. No, when he's hot, yeah. You know what the problem is? He's not hot every single week. True, but no – basketball athlete ever is they go Larry Bird walked in to a three-point contest and looked at all those other all-stars and said which one of you all's finished in second <laughs> that's and just then what we call swag uh Lucas uh you're 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 in over your head on this one man I don't I can't I, I you are 
I I don't I don't feel like I am. But even the fact that you would put him above, I mean, the the combination of Reggie Miller and Ray Allen. Maybe it's just... maybe it's because I'm just trying to convince him to come to Miami next season. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, you know, he would really love going from winning the NBA Finals to finishing seventh in the East. Uh, wrong. He'll easily make us the top five. Um, mm, that's what a lot of people said about Scottie Pippen, too. Hey, <laughs> I, I mean, they went to the almost went to the championship without Jordan that one year with Pippen. I mean, he, he led yeah, them all the way. Yeah, I'm just saying, afterwards, everybody was like, yeah, let's get Pippen. He's awesome. And then he was <laughs> lost without Jordan. Just saying. All right. Thank you, Michael. I rest my case. Anyways, so... We're going to move on as this is surprisingly the one spot I was not ready to take an L in. Um, yeah, you took a massive one here, bud. No, nah, I still think I'm right because Stephen A. Smith agrees with me, and that's all that matters in my heart. Um, Stephen that's A. Smith not a good also argument. forgets who currently plays in the league. Stephen A. Smith thought Kareem Hutt was playing in the uh, AFC Championship. What? Yeah, did you not see him on there? I did not. <laughs> oh, yeah, you should go. you should go find that video. That's a good one. All right, so the next big national headline for the NBA is uh, apparently the Memphis Grizzlies, who are, by the way, they play in the FedEx Coliseum. Shout out FedEx. Um, <laughs> uh, sponsor the show. Um, they anyways, <laughs> um, They have made it clear that they will take offers for Conley and Gasol. Um what are your guys' opinions on this, and who should make a play for both of them or one of them? Let's start with you, Michael. Well, and I, you know, I've read up on it, and both players seem disappointed that this is happening, which doesn't make sense to me because why would you want to live in Memphis? But <laughs> I guess that's just, I guess when you're there that long, it just something happens. Um, yeah, Memphis is just. They don't have anything going right now. They got to start over and you got to start somewhere. And the first step is usually getting rid of everything you can to get draft picks. So you can start building. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it makes sense. Um, as for where they're going to go, I would like to see Conley go to Philadelphia. I think that would be a good fit. Ooh. And I think that would make them really, really good. Mm. Um, Gasol, I don't really, I don't know what would be a good fit for him. He's an okay center. I, I, I don't really know any team that should jump out and give a lot up for him. Um, the other option is it looks like um, for Indianapolis, they just uh, they had a guard go down tonight. Uh, Victor um, Oladipo, their star. He yeah. As soon so as, they, which I don't know if y'all saw that replay, but a kneecap is not supposed to do that and. Speedy recovery to Victor Oladipo. His season is obviously done. So yeah, yeah. So uh, so they could use some more scoring power there too. Um, but that that if I was if I was Conley, I'd want to go to one of those two places because they're both playoff uh, contenders and they're you know you've got a chance at making a run with them. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Gasol, I, I don't really I don't think he's much of a commodity at all. So I don't know what they're going to be able to move him for. Uh, Brian, what about you? Um, I, so I would kind of agree on, on the assessment of Gasol. I think Gasol has, has very much lost his luster. He was a little, he was pretty hot, um, early on in his career, but I think over time he's kind of lost his luster as a, as a, as a big playmaker, as a big, as a big power guy. He's not even um, the best Gasol. Very true. Very true. Very. Coincidentally, here's a trivia fact about Marcus Gasol. The reason he ended up in Memphis was because the, uh, the Lakers traded for the pick 
or traded the pick that the Grizzlies used on Mark Gasol for Pau Gasol. Yeah. And a three-team trade. So, interesting take there. But, uh, so, the biggest spot, there's two spots I could say that work for Gasol, and really only one of them makes sense to me right now. Uh, I would say the Charlotte Hornets. I think that would bolster them enough to get them into the, the playoff conversation. Um, that would, that would, uh, he would, I think he would pair well with Kemba Walker. Um, so I think that might work for Gasol, but I'm definitely more interested in where Conley ends up. And I kind of agree with, with Michael on, uh, on where Conley can go. I would like to see Conley go to Indiana because I think the, the Pacers are, are a very dangerous team this year. And I think if, if, if Conley, if Michael Conley ends up in Indiana, then I think that really makes the Pacers uh, a threat in the East for sure. Um, I think that, that, you know, I think right now if they were to finish this season uh, at the talent level they're at, even after Victor Oladipo went down, I'd still put them at the three seed. I think Conley giving them that depth and, 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 and really rounding out um, the loss of Oladipo, I think that, that would put them at the two seed even, um, right behind Milwaukee, of course. Um, and I think that also allows them uh, enough roster talent to incite, you know, a Kyrie Irving or a Kemba Walker next summer in free agency. So that's, that's where I would like to see uh, Michael Conley go. See, now, I don't think, first off, Victor Oladipo makes that Indiana, Indiana Panthers team. They're, they're a, a five, six, or even a seven seed without him now. So getting Conley, I think, will make them, if that was a possibility, they'd easily be like a five seed. But Conley's not as much of a, a prolific scorer as Oladipo is. He's more of a defensive star. Um, and so I think he might be devaluing Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabanis. I, they're good, man, but Victor was the culture change. I mean, those players were there, remember, with Paul George, and Paul George was struggling. Victor uh, Oladipo got traded there and was like, we're going to do something, and he motivated that team. So I think that they're good, but they're not that good without him. So, but I, I, I think he might be Gordon Haywarding this team right now. Because I think when Gordon Hayward went down, people thought the Celtics weren't going to be that awesome, and they turned out being the best team in the East. If people thought that they weren't going to be awesome, they were idiots and obviously not looking at that bench. I mean, the Celtics bench was stacked. But anyways, I like Michael's point about the 76ers, but the question is, is who do you give up to get Connolly if you're the 76ers? I mean, either one of you know, because that, that would be the difficult decision for them. Well, you, I mean, you give up Fultz. Yeah, sure. I'd say Marco Fultz is easy. Um, yeah, Fultz, Wilson Fultz Chandler, for sure, Wilson and Chandler then maybe a pick. But I don't think anybody Wilson Chandler could Fultz. go. Wilson um, Chandler could go, yeah. Mike, Mike Muscala. Mike Muscala could go. Yeah. And I see um, as far as – uh, I mean, they, and, and think about it, the, the Sixers being a win-now team, I mean, they can trade draft assets at this point. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, now y'all are right in your assessment about Gasol. Um, I think that a good landing spot, uh, a quick turnaround spot, I think would be the Celtics. I yeah, think uh, I can see that happening. Throwing him down there because he's a true center, un- unlike Al Horford. Um, you put him down there, he stretches the floor better than Al Horford. And if you're the Celtics with all of the stuff that you have picks and bench that you can trade, they would have the easiest way of trading for him. Except I mean, they're saving all of that. 
True. Yeah. I, I, but I mean, they, they could honestly probably turn Jalen Brown into Marcus all. Yeah. Do they want to get a center though? When they are all in on trying to get Anthony Davis. I, I don't know why point. they're all. Because, and you also have to think, yeah. you also have to think that Marcus all's cap hit right now is $24 million. Yeah. But I think it expires after, I think he's uh, done after this year. Right. Sure. But I mean, do you want to take on that $24 million for this year? If it makes me that much more likely to win a championship, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if you if you play that market because what if what if what if you drop that 24 million dollars and, and Marcus All for some reason just happens to ball out, and then you're like, oh, do we pay this guy or do we really try to go in on Anthony Davis? No, that's where you go. Thank you for that great season. Bye. Go get your money elsewhere, and we're gonna go with the dude that's younger and has you know the lengthier career. Yeah, but also the Celtics resigned Al Horford. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he was their only option in terms of big. So uh, for the interim. So that's why they did that. That's why people aren't talking about it more. And actually, I'll kind of pose a question to y'all. There's more and more rumors that Kyrie ain't even going to stay with the Celtics. Right? Probably not. That he might actually rejoin LeBron in L.A. I don't see that happening at all. Yeah. I don't see I don't see Kyrie going to LA at all. I don't think he wants to go back and be in LeBron James shadow even though he he did that whole apology nonsense. I don't think he necessarily wants to do that. I could see him leaving the Celtics in free agency, but um yeah, I don't think LA is a possibility. I, I think if you're building a team around LeBron, the least important position on the court is the point guard. 100%. Even if he's a shooting point guard, you don't Yeah. That's a good point. I'll agree with that. Yeah. So they need big guys. Okay, well then that that kind of kind of brings us into the next question. Uh, Carmelo Anthony uh, was traded to the Bulls and then bought out, uh, or well for cash and stuff like that. And either way, he's he's a free agent now in the league. Um, does Car Carmelo Anthony deserve another shot in this league? I mean, I know he didn't pan out very well in Houston and you know, he is older and his body's kind of worn tour a little bit more than the other of the banana boat crew, but should a team pick him up for dirt cheap veteran minimum? And if they do, you know, can he really help them solidify a championship run? Michael, let's start with you. It, this is all going to depend on Carmelo. If he has the right mindset that he's going to come off the bench and just help the second string, that I absolutely would take him if I was a contender. I would get him and throw him on the bench, and yeah, I mean, he's old, but I, if I could throw Carmelo Anthony out there when all my starters are resting and he wasn't demanding more playing time or being a bad presence in the locker room, I would absolutely take him in heartbeat. So which team do you think should go after him? Michael. I don't know. Who's still <laughs> delusional enough to think they have a chance of beating the Warriors? <laughs> uh, the majority of the Eastern Conference? I don't know. Uh, the Bucks. Yeah. The Bucks. The yeah, the that's, Bucks. that's good. The Bucks is the latest contender right now. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. It, it would have to be a team that is going to make a deep postseason run without him. And then just get him hoping, hoping with the hope. I can't talk that in the championship series with the Warriors, 
he can be a difference maker coming off the bench. And when they're resting their five all-stars, he can hopefully help lift up a little bit. Or heck, who knows? Maybe even the Warriors will go get him so he can win a championship. Ah, see, there you go. That that's that's some bold takes right there, Brian. What are your thoughts on everything? So, I say this with the utmost respect to a player that really got me into the NBA in Carmelo Anthony, but I think he's officially gone to where careers die currently in Chicago. Um, and I say that as the biggest Bulls fan on this podcast right now. That, that that's. Careers go downhill once you've crossed that path, unless your name's Derrick Rose or Jimmy Butler. That's about it. Dwayne Wade bounced back from being there for a year. Yeah, but I don't really count his. I think he went there just so he could say, hey, I played in Chicago once. True. I think if you're there to seriously play basketball, you're, you're pretty much done. Um, and right now, I think if you remember Carmelo Anthony early on in his career in the mid-2000s, he was lights out in Denver. Um, once he hit New York, he became a locker room cancer. And I don't think he'll ever be anything less than that. Um, the Rockets fell apart, with, or sorry, Thunder fell apart with him. The Rockets clearly were not working with him. Um, and, and, and I think he'll probably do the same thing to Chicago. He'll probably have a lot of problems there because he won't have the role that he wants to have. Uh, and I don't think Carmelo Anthony can play any other role than the guy on a team. And I think for that reason, he wouldn't work as a bench guy because he wouldn't be happy. So he wouldn't play motivated. And I think that would, that, I don't know. I think, I think it's pretty much the curtain call in his career in my eyes. So you think his next step then is the uh, ice cube league? Yeah. I would say he needs to go to the big three. He needs to play against Nate Robinson a couple times. <laughs> I cannot believe you just said that. Uh, All right. Listen, here, let me, <laughs> let me school y'all. Okay. Okay. Michael was right. Lucas, that, remember that you said that Clay Thompson was the second best shooter of all time, and you're saying you're about to. And he him. is gonna be, and I'm gonna archive this episode and uh, good laugh. luck. Uh, okay. Good okay. Luck. So you're right, Michael, when saying that he does deserve to be in the league. Uh, still, at least one last hurrah. Okay. Uh, so Brian, I disagree with you on that front. Um, but here's the thing: if the NBA will allow him to play with a hoodie on. He could start for any team in the NBA today. So we're going to start a petition to get the NBA to allow them to wear hoodies under their jerseys in the game because there's no better shooter all time. He is better than Curry. He's better than Clay Thompson. Hoodie Mello is the best shooter I've ever seen. So as long as that can happen, then he should definitely be starting somewhere in the league. But that won't. So I do think that he deserves a spot somewhere, and I think that the place that he's going to end up going here in a few weeks is L.A. with LeBron because I think LeBron is the only person that can tame Carmelo's persona and his ego, and I think that Carmelo really wants one shot at the championship now that he's been fed all of his money that he wanted. Um, because remember the original plan was for, uh, Chris Paul, LeBron, Carmelo and D Wade to all be done with their contracts at the same time to start a super team. But 
Chris Paul did his part. LeBron did his part. And Wade did his part on all signing three-year contracts. Carmelo wanted the money and signed a five-year extension and blew that all up. So he's got his money. Now he probably wants one ring, and I think LeBron's the only person that could handle him. So I think he joins the Lakers. So basically you're saying Carmelo Anthony will only ever be good again either if A, he plays with LeBron James, or B, he becomes a Sith Lord from from Star Wars. Exactly. You're saying Star Wars Melo is the best shooter of all time. Yes. Have you <laughs> okay, seen videos? Right. <laughs> that, you know, I have seen videos, but you know the tape can only tell me so much. I got to see it on the court. I got to see it. I, gotta well, see it on the court. I, I think it's more believable that the NBA would change the rules to allow him to wear hoodies during the game than Clay Thompson being the second best shooter of all time. Right, wow. right, right. I also think I also think it's a very distinct possibility that the NBA allows that rule change if they're allowed to put sponsors on the hoodies. Yeah, that's valid. Oh, yeah, of they course. Gotta, yeah, the, the, the hoodie that he puts up will be decked out in sponsors. Like, it's got to have Supreme all over it. If it doesn't have Supreme all over it, they won't buy it. Okay, <laughs> th- that's not a sponsor. Trust me, they try to make J.R. Smith cover it up on his leg. Um, So, real quick question that I don't have on here, but I just want to throw it out there. Brian, we'll start with you. Off the top of your head, who is your NBA Rookie of the Year thus far? Luka Doncic. Straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, is not a tough question. Choice? This is not a tough question. Why is there any other choice? The Mavericks yeah. were nothing before him. Yeah. He's he's everything to that franchise right now. They're yeah. going to build their entire roster. It's Luka Doncic. No, no question. Okay, Michael? I, I mean, I wish I could debate and throw something else in there just to say something else, but no, it, it's him. Yeah. Luka Doncic. Okay, and uh, you both are wrong. I'm just kidding. No, it's it's Luka Doncic. Lucas, let me let me pose this. Let me let me. I have a good question for you. Yeah. And this be this is a good talking point. Nice nice one to bounce off. Who are, who would who would be your all star starting rosters right now? Mm. In east and west. East and west. Yeah. You can pick one if you want, but I All think right. I, 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 yeah. Two, okay, hold on. I'll, I'll do both of them real quick. But first off, I, you know, I love Lucas so much and uh, <laughs> that I think he's rookie of the year. I'm naming my son after him. Um, but right, anyway. <laughs> but with a C, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, with with the uh, with the C. So, uh, just anyways, the the all stars. Okay, I wasn't ready to be put on the spot. I do have another question, by the way, that deals with. And we're gonna have an, we're gonna have an all star special too, we, right? We are. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are gonna have the, an all star un- special. Uh, all star team of not all stars, right, or what, or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll that, that'll, that. that'll be a later date when we Once know the starting yeah. line. Um, and I got a like I said, I got a question about Luca that I got to circle back with y'all. So all star teams, just the starting five. Yeah, just the starting five. We okay. don't need the whole roster. That would take nine years. <laughs> West. Yeah. All right, you ready? West yeah. point guard is Chris Paul. Uh, West shooting guard is James Harden. Um, actually, I take back Chris Paul. I'm sorry. I met Russell Westbrook. Um, small forward, LeBron. Power forward, uh, would be Anthony Davis or center, whichever one you want to throw him in at. Uh, and then, so throw Anthony Davis at center, power forward would be Kevin Durant. Um, and then east side, point guard would be probably, ooh, that is hard on the east. 
uh, Kimba Walker, uh, shooting guard Bradley Beal, uh, small forward would be uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, power forward. Jeez, this is hard. Uh, power forward would be Al Horford, and center would be Hassan Whiteside. I don't know. Okay, Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> I have one quick question though. Yeah. So neither of the top two greatest shooters of all time. <laughs> I was make you me your it. starting lineup in the West. You beat me to it. Well, because <laughs> because punch. in all honesty, I could have just said the West starting five would be the Warriors. Okay, no, I could have said that, but I. I'm tired of it because that's what it's been the past four years. So oh, that's fantastic. I, I needed some change. They're going to okay. be I was on just the team. Them for no Steph Curry, but yeah, no, they're... that's right. I could easily go and say that it should be, uh, Curry Thompson, Durant, Draymond and Davis, but that's already happened like three years now. They're not going to let that happen again. Okay. All right. Well, Michael, what say you? you Okay. Well, um, in the West, I think you go, you got to go Curry, I think. Sure. Um, Wow. I'll go Anthony Davis, um, Durant, LeBron James. Then, man, I guess I'll go Harden. Okay. Okay. For my sorry, and then for the East, nobody cares. The East can't play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I struggled. All right, so the East, the East, I would go Kyrie. Um, I would go Kyrie. I would go Kemba Walker. I would go Giannis over Bradley. Over Bradley Beal, yeah. Um. I would go Giannis, I would go Kawhi, and I would go Joel Embiid. Oh, Joel yeah, Embiid I forgot about Blake Kawhi. <laughs> yep. I Joel, Embiid, Joel yeah. Embiid over Blake Griffin. Remember that. Keep that yeah. in mind. Over oh, Hassan yeah. Whiteside? I'm just kidding. No, well over. <laughs> so, in the East, I would go. You mean West? Or, sorry, in the West, sorry. In the West, I would go Curry, Harden. I would go Durant, Anthony Davis, and solely because LeBron James has been injured, Paul George. I just don't. I just don't think you can have. You unless, can't have an All Star game without LeBron. I, I'm not just, saying LeBron's not going to play, but we haven't seen enough. Paul George. Yeah, that's not we happen. haven't seen enough. <laughs> I'm saying this season, he's been injured. Right, but what? Okay, you do realize fans vote in this, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but the coaches decide the starting rosters, don't they? No. I don't think so. It's player picks now, remember? Oh, that's right. So whoever is... Well, everybody in the, everybody in the West is probably pissed that LeBron came to the West, so they're not going to pick him anyway. Well, but here's the thing. The, the, the <laughs> captain is whoever leads in votes, which is LeBron James. So he's going to oh, be the yeah. captain of the West. So unless LeBron James is mad at himself and doesn't want to start himself. <laughs> he might be. You never know. He's doing some weird stuff. He showed up to a game with, wine, with a wine glass one time. 
he's just he's talented man well Um, you can do that when you're the greatest of all time exactly yes (laughs) all right um anyways so back circle back around to Luka Doncic um I had a huge battle with my friend Nate who you know loves NBA knows everything about it and the battle was is I claimed before the season that Luka would be better than Ben Simmons um tell me how crazy I am what uh we'll go with uh Brian first I think it's valid I think it's I think it's very valid I don't think it's proven yet but I think it's a possibility Okay Michael <laughs> Yeah I mean Yeah it makes sense I don't know I I just watched Simmons play today too so he's like really fresh cuz he is good Mm. But, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I say that with absolutely no disrespect meant towards Ben Simmons, but right now, Ben Simmons is, in my opinion, he, right now, he would be doing less with more. He has a lot of support staff around him, where Luka Doncic is starting, a, starting an entirely new team in Dallas. Yeah. And has, and has really done a lot with not a lot around him. But see, I think, I, I, I think Simmons will be better when he's not running the point. Okay, fair enough. Rather than be the Magic Johnson style point that yeah, he's being forced to be right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, my my whole battle with him was that Ben has so far to go with his shooting ability, and that is something Luca does not have to work on at all. And no, Luca Doncic's shooting form is beautiful, and he's athletic, more athletic than people gave him credit for. And so that's why I picked him. But he said that I was dead wrong in that. Ben Simmons is light years ahead of him. So No, no, I would say that it's definitely not like that. Um Okay, so I'm glad uh you guys have confirmed to me. I'll make sure that he listens to this episode. Um real quick, one one more question before we end today's show. Uh who won the fight? Booker or DeJang? Oh, there's okay. I love Kentucky and I love Devin Booker. But that dude's not winning a fight. He is the biggest <laughs> no. pretty boy in the league. Yeah, no. come on. Have you I seen mean, Gorgie Jang? Gorgie unless Jang unless Tyler Ulis was back in the locker room waiting to help him out, he had no chance. And really, Devin Booker needs a Tyler Ulis like on his shoulders to match up to the height of Gorgie Jang. That that's about yeah. yeah oh I yeah. Mean, yeah. The tail it's, of the tape is not in Booker's favor. No, no, no. Now I will say I I I felt pretty confident. I think Gorgie Jang just might still be mad that Louisville lost by uh, thirteen this year to Kentucky. Yeah, and I think it really might be he he might have just been saying like, man, they shouldn't have lost that, but he might have just been really polite. And Devin Booker was like, whatever, we're the Wildcats, we're gonna beat you. He didn't like that, so he got really mad um, because he you know he really enjoyed his time with Patino and several ladies of the night. Uh, I I just figured. He was just upset he went to Louisville to begin with. I, I, yeah. I feel like that's what they all feel when they leave. Yeah. When he, he realized he wasted his time. Yeah. It's, it's, he, yeah. Especially now that national championship is gone. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> what national championship? They haven't, they haven't won one since what, 86? There you go. I like that. I like that mentality. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Lucas, Lucas, you don't know what you got yourself into when, when you. Oh no! I mean, I I set it up. I was the one that threw it out there. I just I just love where it all of a sudden ends up going. I mean, I really never I really never thought that I that I would see, uh, you know, Gorgie Jang 
really getting try to get in a fight with the kid from up. I think that's an egregious penalty. I think the NBA needs to find him for that. <laughs> you ever notice that about, about Devin Booker? He looks like that kid from up. Yeah. Don't, don't disrespect Devin. There's, that's not there's hopes that we can hopefully bring him on here. Okay. That's not disrespectful. I think I money would have been on Booker because what he would have done is he just would have stepped back and hit him from afar. So that, Ooh, that that's like all. That. I think what happened in all honesty, and I love Devin Booker. I think they both ran to the back and Devin went in the locker room and sat down and then Dane was still trying to fight. And Devin's like, oh, he was for real? <laughs> that's, that's probably true. Well, I don't know. Everyone was Devin saying that. was like, I just did this for the cameras, man. Yeah, say, he's <laughs> like, oh, he wasn't, he wasn't just playing it up for the cameras? Okay. My favorite part about that is that when they were like, all right, you're both ejected, both the guys sprinted to the back. They, oh, yeah, to go back there and fight. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. I absolutely loved it. it like, was- you hear these stories about all these guys, you know, going to the other side of the tunnel, whatever. These guys literally ran back to the tunnel. Yeah, well, and the story is, too, is that they calmed down Booker, got him in the locker room, and then Dane was almost almost made it into the locker room before security stopped him. So you 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 might be right. Booker might have just gone straight back there and been like, yeah. "Oh wait, he was serious." Hey, I yeah, mean, Book, I, that's, maybe maybe Booker has a WWE future after the NBA. It's true. I mean, that stuff happens. Remember the whole uh, incident with uh, Chris Paul and James Harden breaking into the Clippers locker room last year? You know, through secret doors and stuff to fight. Yeah, who's gonna win that fight? <laughs> I mean. Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and Austin Rivers versus Chris Paul and James Harden. That would have been a very interesting fight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, James Harden probably has the worst footwork in fighting history based on the step back. So. Yeah, but what's he hiding in that beard? For all you know, that guy pulled out like a dagger or something that he's got sitting up in there. Could be another fist. Yeah. It, it's, That's unfair advantage. It's, it's definitely you, another. You fist. could fit a Chris Paul in that beard. You could fit it now. Is that a performance enhancing drug? Fitting a Chris Paul inside your beard. Performance enhancing? No, not in my opinion. No. Well, yeah, true. It is Chris Paul. <laughs> wow. Chris um, Paul is really good at handing the fight off to James Harden. I'm but. gonna stop this. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> now that now that we mentioned that, uh, and one last last question: uh, What's going to be remembered more, James Harden's footwork or his beard? I think ultimately, once he starts getting called for travels, probably his footwork. I think his footwork because I think there's going to be like a James Harden rule. Yeah, there, there has to be. Did y'all see uh, Curry do that and they called a travel? Yeah. Didn't we talk about that on the last podcast? We did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to double technical podcast, Lucas. It's I'm your still, co-host. It's it still irks me. Like the man. Like I get it. They don't care too much about traveling in the NBA, but. The I think amount really what that it is, he does it. I think yeah. really what it is is that like Steph Curry's a pretty small guy, and James like James Harden's not the most like well built fella ever. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's a, he's an okay shape, but like I think the rest are like there's no way that a big guy moves that many times in that like small amount of space. So like they kind of give him a free pass because they they don't believe what they're seeing. But I think they're like, oh yeah, of course Steph Curry moved his feet that many times, so they called the whistle. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know. It just aggravates me. Yeah, I think the NBA lets their stars play, and Curry Curry doesn't need to take that many steps to make a shot. That's that's very true. All right. Yeah. There you go. So uh, good, good, good show, guys. 
Uh, Good show, guys. He congratulates congratulates us on the show before telling anybody, any of the audience. What? (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just good job too. Yeah, I'm just saying. Good job. We 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 did good. You guys (laughs) crushed. You crushed my hopes and dreams like always. So uh, thanks everyone <laughs> to listening for the double technical podcast where Lucas gets beat up. Um, I hope uh, everyone enjoys their weekend. Uh, well, hopefully UK beats Kansas and uh, we'll come back next week and be ready to talk about the Super Bowl matchup and all kinds of other goodies. So uh, enjoy your weekend and we'll talk to you all Friday. Peace out.